this meeting to order. Um, it's the Thursday, November 21st uh, meeting of the Chapel of Carver City School Board of Education, in case you were in the wrong place. <laughs> um, can I have a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. Second. Um, any discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Passes 7-0. Announcements, I have two. Um, the first is I'd like to acknowledge um, a um, member of um, our staff who has served diligently in multiple roles, in particular, most recently, AVID and um, AIG. Uh, Jean Parrish is retiring at the end of this month. Um, we will miss her greatly. She wears many hats. Um, I hope she enjoys that time. I know the administration is going to have a lot of uh, work to do to fill those shoes. and. Um, just want to publicly acknowledge her for her years of service and her dedication for so many children. So thank you. Did run into the hallway this week, so I was able to <laughs> give her a hug and say The next is um, a member of our board who, sadly, this is the uh, last night that you will be here at an official meeting as a board member. You may attend in other ways. We know we'll continue to hear from you. But Craig McElveen has served um, tirelessly and diligently um, since um, five years. Yeah, since again, getting five years under his belt. Um, and we were just joking about a little bit before that we know he's probably already been approached about a million other boards that he's already getting signed up for. Um, so this is a small token of appreciation. Before you open that, though, I um, I tried to do a Wordle, which my kids gave me the link for because I don't know how to do these things. But basically what I asked was of um, sort of administrators and your fellow board members to give me five words that described you. And then what happens when you do the Wordle is the words that come out the most common end up the biggest. And the biggest one for you is thoughtful, <laughs> calm, <laughs> results, mentor, statesman equals mentor, <laughs> equity, kind, and then all kinds of fantastic things, accountable, concerned, professional, excellence, uh, student-focused, soft-spoken, empathy, fair, pensive, <laughs> family-oriented, measurable, justice, stubborn. Committed, humble, gracious, listener, easygoing, dedicated, advocate. Businessmen, listen, respect, intelligent, peace-loving, tenacious. <laughs> so I framed it this version because uh, I also then have passed out this one. So what you'll find, you can trade it out. This one has been signed by all the people who are contributing to these words just as a more informal thank you um, and appreciation for having served with us. It's been my privilege. Right, thank you very much. Personnel agenda and addendum. So moved. 
Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Great. And the next is approval of the amended minutes for October um, 17, 2013. So moved. Second. Um, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. Next, we have uh, MSAN student presentation. Who's uh, going to coordinate all that? But we have wonderful people in the audience that we're excited to hear. It's always a great time for us. Welcome. Good evening, everybody. My name is Jotham White, and I'm a member of the Multicultural Student Achievement Network. I'm a 10th grade, 11th grade at Chapel High School, and I was a participant in the student conference we had in Massachusetts this September. And there I learned that student voices have power. I learned that the youth is the future, and we need to connect with the youth. And most importantly, I learned that the youth has an impact on everyone around them. And yes, that's <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Gabby Dumonte. I'm a ninth grader at East Chubble Hill, and I'm a proud member of AMSAN. Um, when we went to the conference in Massachusetts, which um, was uh, this year at um, University of Massachusetts at Amherst, um, I, I, I was really impressed and like shocked about every like so many things I learned there. Uh, there was a guest speaker uh, named Calvin Terrell, and he was um, like you would say he was a humanitarian. He would not only talk about race, but he would talk about like just a human um, being like welfare and how it's important for like to open everyone's eyes to like what the real world the world is. And um, he, I just thought he, he was an amazing speaker, and how like he used so many facts, like we like we knew, but we didn't want to accept as like a society. And he just showed um, showed me and showed us how the um, young um, so, like society in can affect the world and how, how we are our future, and that um, we need to change what we are. So I, I really like that. Hi, I'm Janelle Matsunides. I am a tenth grader at East Chapel Hill High School. Um, at the MSAN conference, um, we our theme was to connect with the youth. So our that's how we created our action plan, which is to create a mentoring type of program for rising ninth graders um, <coughs> to help them with um, skills they need in high school. Hi, my name is Erica Tate, and I also attended the MSAN conference in Massachusetts. And it's important because our theme is connecting with the youth. So therefore, we want to get the youth, mainly the eighth graders of all the Chapel Hill Cobra Middle School, and get them involved and get them informed on what they should expect and what they should sign up for in high school, instead of going into high school thinking that they have all this freedom and that they can procrastinate and do this and that. And that's not the case because it gets harder as you go, so you start early. And that's what we want to get in their head. Hi, I'm Alexa Parvey. I'm a junior at Chapel Hill High School, and we are working with rising eighth graders because ninth grade has the highest dropout rate. So we want to, like Erica said, we want to prepare them for, for what to expect and not to just think they're going to coast through high school like they did in middle school, that they need to buckle down and that things are going to get hard. <laughs> Um, my name is Jasmine Rosales. I'm a junior at Chapel Hill High School, and well, they basically summarize everything. But um, we'll um, we'll take questions, and well, all of us will. 
closing question now at this moment. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, board members, does anybody want to ask a question or provide a comment? Greg? <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you, um, we're, always, we're always very glad that, that um, the teams go and, and not only learn, but bring something back to the district. And so you've, you've mentioned uh, some initial ideas to help eighth graders and ninth graders. Um, you talked about ideas of the need for help, but is there anything planned to actually help them? Yes. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, we came up with, with a plan while we're in Massachusetts, and the plan is to work with middle school. Well, work with the middle schools in general, and have the teachers kind of let them know what we're doing. And so, one students who want to participate will come, and we will set up a meeting, and we're going to. Yeah, to set up a meeting and set up a way of starting up with them. And that's going to start in January. What we're doing is not like a tutoring type program, but we're trying to get the eighth graders to get them to know the skills they need to succeed in high school, like how to take notes, not procrastinate, how to study, things like that, so they can be successful. Because, you know, in high school, you don't really like learn those skills you learn on your own. So we're trying to get them to do that beforehand so they can succeed. Yeah, and as a ninth grader, I see my peers yeah. uh, like just like be totally lost because they have no uh, like no like no one to like lead them. Like parents are nice and like teachers are nice, but like they don't know like like how like like the kids are actually struggling. So it's nice to have like kids from the high school who have experienced like what experience help you. Like uh, like I'm okay because I ask like like I have a lot of friends that are like upperclassmen, so like they help me a lot. So that's why we thought this was a very important program that, that it, like every single eighth grader should have, so they can have like some a path like that they could follow and be like like easy and for them not to struggle that much. I would like to build off what my teammates said. Um, <coughs> we're not we're focusing on primarily eighth graders, but we want to like not just like focus on them to like get what we have like prove a point to what we're saying, just like so they can be a freshman and go into high school strong. But we don't want to just like end it there. Like we want to follow through their high school career and make sure they're staying on task, making sure they're doing what they're doing, and get people in our foot in our footsteps so they're doing what we do when we officially graduate and go off to college as well. So um, to what like Erica said and everyone else said, um, we it's like a it's like also, it's like a mentor, like you know a big buddy system. So in that way, they'll have someone in high school to go up to and you know ask about stuff, like um, like get clubs involved and also AP courses, honors courses, and just things like that, so they can get ready and take like a step ahead and not struggle behind. Uh, you had a question or comment? Um, I, I appreciate your presentation, um, and uh, it's it's really it's really nice to see that you're interested in um, in mentoring and kind of providing some guidance for the younger students before they get to high school. Um, you're sharing your ideas, you know, with us tonight when you attended the conference. Um, of course, there are other schools represented. Um, were there leaders from the schools? teachers and administrators there to hear your feedback and your concerns? Did, did you feel like there, there was an the opportunity for you to share your concerns and then they take it back to the schools? Yes, 
Um, when we shared our um, goals, the other schools like shared theirs too, and like we have positive and negative feedback, and like we have like constraints that we have to work around. But and the good the good end of it was that um, other schools gave us feedback from what they have done and told us like what worked and what didn't work. So we like tweaked our action plan to like make it fit the way we want it, and so that our vision is positive in the end. And adding what she said. Um, like um, when we had we had many like little workshops that we were doing during the conference, and one of them was to show like what our our what we're gonna do when we came back to like our cities and like the action plan, and then like we saw a lot of people that were going around, and I was like, there's many a little other clubs, and one of the clubs is like Student Six, and um, my teammate Alexa Parvi and I were like telling other people like. Like there's the like, student six. There's like t like students teaching that like that the uh, teachers how to be like better like in, yeah. So like telling not only us but like telling the whole like um, United States technically like what's like that what works for us and what doesn't. So that's an example of what we did and that actually actually work in it's happening right now. So yeah. And um, I met with the principal who came to the conference. And he was very receptive to like all our ideas and everything that our group was talking about. That helps other students get what they needed from us. I'm not, I can't let you go without speaking. I'd like you to introduce yourself and tell us about your experiences with him, Sam. <laughs> yeah, the guys are outnumbered. <laughs> I'm Simon Lee. I'm a junior at Chapel High School. Um, about the expo, I just wanted to let you all know that we are reaching out to students of color, but we did not say specific programs like AVID. We want to put it generally out to all mm -hmm. students, um, mm -hmm. folks on the students of color, but it's open to all. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe that that point was established, so I just want to break that out there. Um, Hamilton has significant impacts in my life. Um, for me, it's helped. I've seen my grades grow on you know, having such awesome peers help me in whatever I need um, studies advice and whatnot. And I feel that um, if we follow through this action plan with mentoring the kids, there'll be a heck of a lower um, dropout rate for ninth grade. So, cool. Anyone else? So thank you. Thank you for reaching back and, and trying to help other kids. It's really, that's wonderful. And maybe sometime, sorry, it's fine. Maybe sometime <laughs> they could spend a 15, 20 minutes, half hour with us doing student six with the board. That's true. Yeah, board development. Yes, board development option. We'll leave that to the administration to figure out how to work in, I'm sure. Maybe in like a board retreat or something. All right. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. The other plan is let the high school students speak early so if they have lots of homework they can still get to it, right? Um, next is uh, public comments. Uh, <clears throat> first, uh, there will be the opportunity for SID comments. Just, uh, I don't have anybody that signed up for a SID. What we'll do is go through each category. Donna has the sign-up sheets. Um, if there's anybody here that's for their SID but didn't get a chance to sign up, <coughs> they have approval from their SID to speak as a SID member, please uh, feel free to come up. All right, seeing no one, we're going to move on to the next one. It's opportunity for teacher organization comments. Kind sir. Good evening, if I may. Sure, and while you're passing that out, I just forgot, for the I know you know, but for the public, basically, Jemzetta is watching the time. We, um, at least what we have by who's signed up, we have a reasonable um, 
public comment groups, you'll have three minutes. And when you have one minute left, left, she'll put this yellow one up in red. Means please finish the words in that sentence and then stop. I'm tied to two fifty. I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is the resolution against the General Assembly's mandate for school boards to offer four-year contracts to 25% of its teachers. Whereas the Appropriations Act of 2013 includes legislation that requires school boards to offer four-year contracts to 25% of its teachers, and whereas the initial Excellent Public Schools Act received limited committee debate in the Senate and no floor debate in either chamber, therefore, therefore resulting in a poorly written policy, whereas school districts are finding it extremely difficult to select a fair method of determining who qualifies for the four-year contract, and Whereas school boards value their teachers and believe them to be deserving of adequate and equitable compensation. And whereas the General Assembly failed to consult with school boards, superintendents, and educators in developing the legislation creating the 25% contracts. Where, and whereas the General Assembly has only guaranteed funds for the first year of the 25% contract bonuses. And whereas no employee should ever be forced to give up employment rights in lieu of salary compensation. And whereas teachers have received only a 1.2% salary increase once out of the past six years, resulting in a greater need by school districts to increase recruitment and retention of teachers. And whereas the Appropriations Act of 2013 cut funding for classroom teachers, teacher assistants, textbooks, instructional materials, and limited English proficiency while continuing the elimination of funding for mentor pay and professional development. And Therefore, it be resolved now that while the Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools Board of Education will implement laws as required, it will, to the extent of possible, adopt a plan that is not adopt a plan that is divisive and damages the collaborative working relationship among teachers and school administrators who are dated to promote school growth and achievement. And now, therefore, it be resolved that the board urges the General Assembly to allow to retain its prorated share of that $10 million to be used for alternative pay or compensation for additional duties, such as mentoring or leadership roles. Now, therefore, it be resol further resolved that the Chapel Hill Carver City Schools Board of Education urges North Carolina General Assembly to appeal the 25% contract and develop an effective compensation plan tied to career paths with input from the education and business community. Realizing that you cannot act on this now, I ask you to take it into consideration, and I thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Um, before we leave, I actually will respond just to clarify, because one of the issues we uh, continue to uh, struggle with is that you know we're not responding necessarily to public comment when we have public comment. But having reviewed the policy, what um, maybe I have <coughs> done this job as I could have as chair this year, at the end of public comment, I have the purview actually to just reflect that I will be directing administration to take into account what, what has been presented to us, and then they will provide guidance to the, it'll go through the chair, vice chair, and then if it comes an agenda item, and that will pertain to your comments, as well as the future comments I'm going to hear, but since you're dashing off, I wanted you to know. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, next, we're going to go to opportunity for high school student representative comments. Is there anyone here who's officially representing their high school, they are a high school student who is officially representing their high school student representative organization? Seeing no one and no one signed up, we're going to move on to the opportunity for citizen comments. Um, I have three people signed up, and then after that, if you um, still desire to speak but didn't get a chance to put your name in, um, we will have you line up. Don't worry, we'll make sure you get a chance. 
So right now I have um, these three people. Uh, I apologize if I mispronounce your name. Susan Swafford, Katie Jamison, and Michael Lee. So if you could plan to come up in that order. First will be Susan Swafford. board members, Dr. Priscilla. Uh, this is an email you all will receive from myself and my co-chair of the Mandarin Advisory Committee, Sean Tabu. Um, first, we want to thank you for your continued support of the Mandarin Dual Language Program. As we heard at our MAC meeting this week, there's been magnificent work by our highly qualified teachers in the program on the unique curriculum. They have been so impressed with the fantastic leadership in Ms. Elaine Watson-Grant. Um, the curriculum work will stabilize the program for years to come and make Chapel Hill a leader in the dual language community across the country. With the overcrowded state of Glenwood occurring <coughs> earlier than expected, the administration is vigorously searching for the best solution to move the least amount of children and inconvenience the least amount of families. One possible solution that has been thrown out is halting the expansion of the, the program. And we respectfully request that this be taken off the table, just as moving the two tracks of the Spanish dual language from Carbo was removed as an option. This change to the program would be so discouraging to the teachers and the parents that it would surely deal a crippling blow. The members of the dual language community, Mandarin dual language community, understand that the continued expansion of the program will likely require moving the program to another school. And while we are very happy at Glenwood and would love to stay, we recognize the need to be flexible and look towards moving the program out of Glenwood to a location that could house two tracks without overcrowding the traditional classes. We also realize that the move may need to happen over a two to three year span and not all at once. In the two SIT meetings at Glenwood over the past month, it was clear that the entire school community wants to see a long-term plan for the program. There have been years of uncertainty and it is amazing that even with that, there's still a waiting list to enter. We believe it has become clear to the teachers and the staff after visiting the Waddell Language Academy, a public magnet school in Charlotte that houses four languages, that the magnet school is the best environment for the dual language programs. As has been mentioned in the past, perhaps a viable solution could be combining the Mandarin dual language program with two new tracks of Spanish into a, a magnet school. And finally, we have one request in regards to the upcoming forum being planned to discuss this issue. We believe that since this will be a discussion focused on the Mandarin program, that more than just the one and a half representatives allotted to the program should be allowed to participate, especially since there will be 40 or so representatives from schools having little association with the dual language program. We greatly appreciate your time in considering these options and all that is required to support dual language in our community. Thank you very much. Thank you. Katie Jamison, followed by Michael Lee. I'm also here to speak about the overcrowding at Glenwood. I'm not a dual language parent, but I'm extremely sympathetic to what my colleague is saying. I know the board members have been hearing a lot from the Glenwood parents, and I want to be among those making the case for finding a long-term solution and for finding it this year. Last year, the district agreed to expand Mandarin DL. I have no interest in relitigating that decision at all, but I want to remind the board that it was un always understood that the true track pro Mandarin program cannot be housed long-term at Glenwood. It is the smallest and most over-enrolled school in the district, and housing two-track Mandarin there means shrinking our zone to such a small size that it will not allow a viable mix of kids. And I know you understand that. And I imagine this is what led to the suggestion to co-locate Spanish DL with Mandarin which is a solution that could fit at Glenwood. 
as we have all heard, Cardroom and Metri is passionately committed to keeping Spanish DL there in that community, and it made sense to me as an outsider. It therefore seems that the board's best option is to speed up the process of finding a permanent home for Mandarin DL, where the programme can expand and thrive. The longer it takes to make that decision, the harder it will get. Mandarin DL keeps growing, and spot redistricting kids away from Glenwood to make room each year will create an enormous and ongoing anxiety for our school community. And just because we don't have a walk zone doesn't mean we're not a community. Please find a permanent home for Mandarin DL and commit to it this year. As Susan has just said, you can move in stages, you can permanently house it in two places, there might be a school where projected under enrolment makes it an easier fit, and you could rezone K entry to accommodate it. There are options that can be explored. But having committed to this programme, you need to find it an appropriate district home where it can grow. And the longer you leave it, the worse it is. Thank you very much. Michael Lee. Good evening. Thank you for having me here. There are two items I'd like to voice tonight, and none of them have not already been brought up. <laughs> the first relates to Glenwood Elementary and its overcrowding. We had all hoped that the district-wide reassignments last year would have eased the crowding at Glenwood, and it was certainly surprised to find that Glenwood is more crowded this year than last year. The school informed us that some spot redistricting may be needed to address the situation, but what I have only lately realized is that this due to the lang dual language process, which is dual language program, which is in the process <coughs> of doubling in size, and that there is no long-term vision for how this will take place. Without such a long-term vision for dual language, I fear spot redistricting will become the annual tradition for Glenwood at this time of year, as we are now in the third consecutive year of doing. One solution I hope will be considered would be where half the dual language classes stay at Glenwood, say K through two or three through third through fifth grade, and another school, perhaps one not so crowded, could take the other half of the students permanently. This would allow Glenwood to continue its strong dual language tradition without requiring more classrooms there. Students would have a more mixed cohort over the years, teachers could teach a single grade level, and there would be the same number of teachers in the dual language program as there are now. Um, it could start next year by starting the two kindergarten classes at a different school or moving the three third through fifth grade classes. And I really think that it benefits the non-dual language students to have dual language in the school. I like hearing uh, the interaction between the students and, and I think it's good for them to hear, in our case, the uh, Mandarin being spoken and picking up words and stuff. I think that that, that is, a, is a good, positive thing. The second item I'd like to speak to is the perfectly odious plan that has now been signed into law that offers an arbitrary 25% of our teachers an arbitrary $500 bonus for signing a four-year contract, then two and one-year contracts for all others, with tenure being gone. Now, obviously, the gentleman before me already spoke to this. Um, but with North Carolina ranked 48th nationally for teacher pay, all our teachers need raises of far more than $500, and they all need far more job security than one or two or four years at a time. Now, I know this board didn't make these decisions, gratefully didn't, but I would like to hear the board denounce these policies <coughs> publicly and pressure the state government to change them, and also to know what we can do as a district to support our teachers and how we might resist or enable them to resist this, as some people have been calling it, hunger games. We, need, we stand to lose so many teachers due to these absolutely short-sighted, misguided policies. Our district, our teachers, and our students deserve far better. 
So um, I have no one else signed up for public comment. If you also would like to speak, if you could raise your hand, please, that would help me know. And then um, any the first person can I'll acknowledge and can come up. Is anybody else planning to speak? All right. Seeing no one, then we're going to close a citizen um, public comment time, and we're going to move to the consent agenda. Do I have a motion? Thank you. There wasn't any consent was agenda. Well, it's on the agenda. So, no, there was no consent. I'm sorry. I'm just reading my cue. I'm just reading my cue. I'm just trying to see if your name is We say nothing all the time, so why not? I'm like, good. Next on the agenda um, is a work session. The first item is technology plan. Dr. Priscilla. Dr. Wrights is here with. Um, other people I see from the department to share the uh, technology. That's great. Okay, well, thank you for this opportunity to present uh, the work of the Technology Advisory Committee and our technology plan. Uh, as you read in your abstract, uh, we're required uh, by state and federal law to have a technology plan, but it's important to realize this is more than just a, a requirement. Uh, we really do need a roadmap that outlines the objectives and the goals. Uh, that we need to uh, meet uh, during the next few years in the area of technology. We reinvigorated the TAC uh, last uh, year, and the energy was high. The, partici the participants uh, had a real sense of urgency uh, for uh, moving uh, towards a more student-centric and individualized uh, environment. Uh, we had some really great meetings. Uh, we had some face-to-face -face meetings, uh, many uh, in this room here. We had some uh, online uh, webinar type meetings where people uh, phoned in and we talked about uh, uh, the planning and, and documents in a shared Google environment, uh, which was kind of new to uh, many of our uh, uh, outside uh, members on the uh, committee. Uh, we developed <coughs> uh, the, the uh, principles of the tech plan document that you uh, see before you. And then uh, once we were done, we shared that with a number of groups uh, throughout the uh, school community, a number of stakeholders. Uh, received input uh, via survey and then uh, met uh, as a group again to uh, to talk about uh, their input and make, uh, made some additional changes. So uh, rather than just go through the plan bullet by bullet, we wanted to celebrate uh, the collaborative nature of this uh, uh, process. So we've invited uh, four members of uh, our committee to briefly highlight uh, some of the key aspects of the, uh, the five different priority areas. Uh, and we can certainly entertain your questions and comments. So, first up, uh, we'll uh, be talking about the Strategic Priority One, a shared services model, what we call the movement toward cloud-based services. And uh, I'd like to uh, introduce uh, Joel Dunn, uh, Vice Chancellor for Administrative Systems at UNCG, and most importantly, a 13-year veteran of our technology and
uh, today the K-12 sector actually uses more bandwidth than the university section. Uh, the K-12 sector uses about 15 gigabits of bandwidth, uh, and the university system only 13. So you know, think about the uh, about what has happened here as the K-12 community has really moved to embrace technology. Now, one of the things that we're seeing is we're seeing explosive growth in that rate as well as the schools move to support things like one-to-one, -one, one device to, uh, to one, one student, and uh, the community really begins to see what is possible with that. And we project that we're going to see around 100% or more growth in terms of that connectivity need per year at a statewide level. So, you know, you just wrap your head around, uh, around that, and that's really an exponential graph. So, setting up not only our connection to the statewide network, but our infrastructure within the district is going to be vitally important for us to be successful. This is going to become even more important as we look forward to 2017-2018, uh, House, House Bill 44, and the uh, movement to digital text, because we're going to see even more pressure and stress on that. Um, as we do this, what we have to do is we have to be really smart about how we use our money. Uh, and this is where cloud-based solutions and trying to sort of right source what it is that we're doing really comes to play. What we should do is we should use a what I like to call a value-added rubric. We need to look <coughs> and say where do Ray and his team add unique value to the, uh, to, to the technology solution of the district? What can they do that no one else can do? If there's, a, if there's someone out there that can do this, better, faster, and cheaper. We should let them do it and let Ray focus his team and the resources of the district on doing those things where we don't have a solution right now and allow him to, uh, to work on those areas where he can truly make a difference in the delivery of the, uh, the product to the, uh, to the student community. Now, to do this, one of the things I'd like for you to internalize is that uh, technology is not a capital expenditure, it's an operational expenditure. So tech is an OPEX, right? and as such, it's something you're going to have to pay for year <coughs> after year after year. I've stood before uh, previous uh, instantiations of this board before and gave, gave this little speech, and you, know, you guys have done a very good job historically of doing that, but this is going to be more and more important as we move away from pencil and paper, pen and paper, to this one-to-one -one student to device student and teacher using device to access those electronic resources. The infrastructure within our, uh, that connects our buildings, the devices that our students use. So think of that and think, of, think about how you're going to budget for that. Um, and I think, right, those are the high points that Thank I would you. touch on. And if you were following along with the plan, he hit a lot of those major points in the brief summary. Uh, next, we'll be looking at strategic priority number two, universal access to personal teaching and learning devices. Uh, student access to learning devices. I'd like to introduce Darren Bell. Uh, is the parent of two of our middle schoolers and uh, is the uh, manager of our community connection program. Ray actually just gave me a minute and a half. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Darren. <laughs> I took you half a minute. <laughs> exactly. Um, actually, what I want to do, I want to bring it from the cloud down to the students. Because really the bottom line on everything we do is all about instruction. And as we always say, technology is a tool for implementing instruction. Okay? 
One of the things that's very important is that now we're actually in a very exciting time where instruction can be done with a growth mindset. We want a child to be able to take on their education, take on their learning process themselves. We want to be able to empower teachers to be able to instruct individually, okay, to be able to provide, instead of one size fits all type of instruction, how can we tailor our tailor needs for the kids? So what we're doing is that we're trying to enable this through having technology utilized inside the school and also outside. But also we have drivers that are coming from the state. You know that a lot of the uh, testing now is done how? online. So we need to be able to address that. Another driver is that teachers want to utilize this. Teachers want to do that deep dive because of the common core. They want to have their students learn and improve and research and study things on their own. But like I always say, learning is not a seven to three o'clock process. It's a 24 seven process. And that's one thing that I like to celebrate within our district that we do support that. As we empower our students and empower the teachers inside the classroom by um, implementing a two to one computer pro program, we also need to be able to make sure that we are empowering our students outside of the classroom too. Make sure that they are not left behind. The term we'll use is the digital divide. As you know, and you can look at the numbers, the digital divide closely relates to the achievement gap, another one of our priorities. So as we develop solutions within um, the district for solving technical problems or issues, providing education, providing instruction to our students, we have to look both inside and outside the classroom. Now, some of the things that we are working on, um, and like I say, inside the classroom is having a two-to-one computer uh, rollout, computer cards to teachers, and instruction for that. But now we have to look outside the classroom. Now we have to, once again, say empower not only the students <coughs> to create 21st century learners, but we also have to have 21st century families, too. So we have to set up processes to be able to support those families outside of the classroom. Um, some of the things that the uh, Community Connection Program is currently doing is we're having educational um, nights for parents to highlight some of the features, to highlight so they understand when we say Google Doc, what does, what does that mean? Power School, what is that? How we can utilize that to better help our um, students. But then also we may have to make sure that they do have the access at home to be able to reach those tools that are available. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Nice Okay, strategic priority number three, access to digital teaching and learning resources, <coughs> including digital resources and digital textbooks. This is the shift from print to digital, or what I like to think of, it's the print, uh, it's the shift from Gutenberg to Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to introduce uh, 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 Megan Tabor, social studies teacher uh, from Culbreth, and she's been on our technology advisory committee this year. Hello, thank you. Um, so in this section, this whole moving to print to digital, um, there's a lot of implications, not just for students, but also for teachers. Um, historically in this district, uh, I've been in the district now, this is my seventh year, um, we've been sort of on our own when it comes to finding resources. It wasn't until last year that I even met the other sixth grade social studies teachers in the district, um, and we were able to share with them. Um, so I'm really excited about this plan because um, it will allow teachers to um, share resources and collaborate, um, hopefully not only just within the schools here within Chapel Hill, but also the 
system and other um, local district systems um, for resource um, you know, availability. Um, it'll make it so that <coughs> we don't have to reinvent the wheel, um, which will be lovely. Um, also, um, our students will ultimately benefit um, immensely by this because we will be able to implement high quality lessons and activities that have been vetted by other teachers. Um, I know I've already gotten lots of things from my Karis Teacher of the Year uh, that I've also already used in my classroom, which have been amazing. Um, so I would love to have way more than just sharing from within our district, but uh, the state as well. And so this plan uh, definitely um, talks about that in depth. Um, the next thing this section talks about is also about um, you know wanting teachers to use new and innovative innovative ways to teach using technology, whether it's flipped classrooms, distance learning, uh, digital notebooks, project-based learning, those are all part of the long-range plan for the district. Um, and so having that collaborative environment would be excellent for that. Um, but in order to be able to uh, implement those new models for learning, um, teachers need two things. Um, and this plan uh, details that. We need time to figure it out. Um, and we need those classroom sets of technology. Um, coming from Colbert, I know firsthand, having iPod Touches um, a couple of years ago, um, how how useful it is to have the internet in a kid's hand every single class period, not just every once in a while whenever I'm able to sign up for the lab. Uh, though the labs are in very high demand at my school, you have to sign up way in advance. Um, if we could all have that one-to-one -one that they talked about earlier, um, you know, I would be so happy. I use technology a lot in my class, and, and I find it an invaluable way to, to learn. Um, and then having the kids have access to it at home as well uh, would only increase the, uh, the time that students would be able to learn. Uh, but speaking of students, the last part of this section of the plan does focus a little bit more on the students because we are going to incorporate more technology um, into their learning and they are going to have to take more responsibility in a blended environment um, when they are doing things at home and on the internet. Uh, so it's really important that teachers are, are supported and our media specialists are supported in being able to uh, train students the responsible use of this technology uh, so that they can um, make sure that they're using it for educational purposes, not just to go on YouTube and watch videos, um, and have it be an effective uh, tool for them to use. Uh, so reinforcing that in the classroom um, and having uh, that support um, that this plan um, implements, I think, will also be a great step forward in training our students in those 21st century skills that we want them to have so much. Okay, great. Uh, Megan, we really appreciate all the teachers that uh, came out for our evening meetings. Um, lastly, I'd like to introduce uh, Debbie Atwater, our coordinator for 21st century learning, to talk about the last critical <coughs> priorities. Good evening. So you have a robust network and hardware infrastructure that supports the increased number of the student learning devices and so strive to shift towards the digital learning environment from a paper-based uh, environment. So how do we really prepare our teachers and our support staff and our administrators to support this learning and teaching is going to be necessary, it is necessary, in our current environment and in our future uh, digital age. So strategic uh, priority number four really relates to the um, helping our teachers grow professionally and uh, provide them professional development opportunities that will help them to meet these goals as Megan has spoken to. Um, you know, our ultimate goal is to really is to educate our students and to help our students discover their passions and to provide them the necessary tools and resources to live and work in a world that's really rapidly developing and changing, and we have to be flexible within. So. 
as you can imagine, we have teachers that are at a wide spectrum as far as their learning, uh, their, their skills and uh, abilities and, and being able to really incorporate technology in their environments. But we don't really know really where those, those skill sets are right now. So one of the first things we want to do is provide a needs assessment. Where are they right now as far as needing this, uh, these different uh, PD opportunities that they would have? So we want to go ahead and do that. And then we want to work within the professional growth model that will be built within goal number four of the district strategic plan and provide those, those opportunities for growth within the uses of technology and information literacy. Um, we also want to offer differentiated types of training. Without all of our teachers being at different uh, levels, providing a one-size-fits-all type of a PD isn't working. <coughs> we really do want to make sure that we are meeting the needs where they are, but also meeting it within their content area that they teach. I recently worked with our arts teachers. I have four different sessions I've been setting up. I work with the, uh, with the music teachers. I cater to their needs within the music teaching here within the content area of music. I am meeting the needs of the art teacher, the visual arts teacher. What do they actually need within their environment? So that differentiated learning to that level is what's necessary. We also want to uh, really utilize our current instructional technology facilitators and librarians to really help in supporting those, uh, all of our teachers within the classroom, being seen as coaches, as our ELA and math coaches are, in the classrooms, helping our teachers, modeling and, and providing uh, some, some interesting ways of, of uh, embedding technology within the blended learning environments, flipped classroom, project-based learning, et cetera. And then we also want to make sure that you understand, we, we do have a digital citizen uh, curriculum, and we are actually implementing a district-wide research process, but our teachers really need to learn what that means and what, those look, what that looks like and how they can have that embedded within their uh, curriculum that they are teaching. Priority number five really relates to our administrators. This can't be done without our administrators truly being models and, and, and the use of 21st century skills and, and, and tools. And so we really do want to have them, you know, we, we want to be, you know, our teachers are really could be in an environment where we work alongside leaders that can apply um, 21st century leadership that focuses on student outcomes that include our common core, our common subjects, our core subjects, excuse me, life and career skills, critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration, creativity, and uh, innovation, while also implementing information, media, and technology skills, and then doing so within our support systems that we have, our standards, our assessments, the curriculum instruction, professional development, and our flexible learning environments. Our, our administrators are also at a variety of different levels, so we really need to make sure we're meeting them where they are. And we also want to make sure they provide them differentiated learning opportunities. Um, we also want to offer the opportunity to you. We want you to see what it is our students are really using. What are you know? Are you working within the Google Docs, Docs uh, domain? Are you in understanding the flip question? So we'd like to provide those opportunities to you as well. Um, I also, you know, I've, I've seen examples in our, uh, we have a principal that I, was, I just I was made aware of that is flipping their staff meetings. So they're providing contents and she's explaining it with, you know, using Google presentation and screencast-o-matic. She provides the content ahead of time so the meetings can truly be about discussion and applying knowledge and, and doing some, um, some work that can, get, can work towards the, uh, what they're trying to do. And then we, you know, we, I really uh, would like to see that our classroom environments can be, uh, become more flexible. You know, how can we teach our, our, uh, our administrators about, you know, about changing the classrooms, look at their classrooms so they can be more collaborative and can offer opportunities for global uh, connections that the students can make in a variety of different ways, of course, the 21st century learning. 
So as this is the last priority, I'd like to go ahead and open uh, <coughs> up for comments and questions that you may have, and any of us can obviously answer that. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate um, the shared uh, experience, and um, it does help too to hear from different perspectives. <laughs> so that's really nice. Um, before I open up to the board, I just want to uh, emphasize, I guess, publicly one of the things that we've been working on as chair and vice chair with Dr. Purcell and, and uh, Dr. Reitz is the. The, under, I guess, priority five would just be um, really being intentional about that you have to bring us along because some of us are more in the 21st century than others. So, um, and it's not because we don't want to, it's because um, it's sort of, it's some of the same issues with the students, but in terms of who has access to what and our ability to do the different roles that we have in terms of managing the data we have to manage in a um, safe and um, secure way. Uh, but that is certainly where all boards across the country are going, and we need to be brought along with you. So I appreciate the um, infusing that into that priority. Having said that, colleagues, any comments or questions or points of emphasis or Mia? Um, so thank you, as always. We always really appreciate um, the, this particular report every year because there's something about the, the tech folks that they get this, they just you guys know how to do a great presentation. <laughs> different than a lot of these other communities that we go into. Uh, 
Um, so the bring your own technology may make a lot of sense here. Uh, we do have a bring your own technology procedure or policy within the district that does allow students to bring that in. We just have not uh, encouraged it. But I think once we make this commitment to uh, the digital divide and making sure that every kid has that access uh, at home and in school, then we'll just need to start doing that. So yes, if you have a device, please bring it in. And if you are questioning what type of device, well, we can give you an idea for a $250 device that we would recommend that your student bring into school. Um, so we're going to be having some discussions uh, about that, certainly in the remainder of this year with the Technology Advisory Committee, but uh, it will also be a budget uh, issue that we, uh, we uh, put on the table for next year. Right, if, if I may. Well, one, uh, one part of that uh, that I think is important is knowing what it is that you want the students to access with that one-to-one -one device and having a, uh, a consistent, coherent plan around that. And that's where I think that the steps that, uh, that Ray and his team have taken to uh, prepare to roll out the Google Collaboration environment is, uh, is a very good one because uh, having that, having an expectation about where people go and what they're going to do and how they're going to do it uh, enables them to understand how to take the, uh, the diversity of devices that come in in a BYOD environment and uh, figure out uh, you know, what are the ways that people can do these things productively so that they can collaborate on their assignments and do the things that they're expected to do. The side benefit of that is not only does it prepare them uh, to, do the, to do their schoolwork, but it also teaches them to be a 21st century citizen learner and collaborator uh, as they go to, uh, to college or into the work world. So uh, it's a lot of benefits. Thank you for um, giving us a, a review and um, also to highlight the, the plans you know, that you have moving forward. I, um, I guess the, the one concern that I have is, is related to the digital divide and particularly when kids get home. Um, and it became very, it, well I think for me it's always been real. Um, because of my experience on the board and, and, and raising kids, but to to have a second grader um, during a time like this, when there are so few dollars for um, books, um, uh, level reading books, and things like that, um, it's uh, even more real. So many of the resources. Um, that the students are basically required to access are all web-based resources. So we can either, we can go on to the, the, uh, the school's website and find these links, or she comes home with a piece of paper. Um, so her required 20 minutes of reading is done online. So um, because there are not enough books or it's no longer practical to send a book home because books get damaged, the kids forget to, to return them to school, but there is an assumption made that the high-speed internet or the wireless will be functioning at 6 o'clock in the evening so that the child can basically do what, you know, it's basically like reading a Kindle, but she's looking at my laptop or she's looking on the desktop and she clicks next and the page turns and she does her reading. But we've had a few nights where Time Warner Cable 
yes, we are aware that there is a problem in your neighborhood, so we get this recording because something is wrong with the wireless or something like that, so she doesn't get to do her homework that night. But it is an expectation, so our teachers, you know, unfortunately, and, you know, and I've, I've acknowledged this with the teachers, there is an assumption that all of the kids, but um, my daughter, when, when she said, well, why isn't it coming up? Because she doesn't understand. Well, it's not working. It's not working. It's locked. It's whatever happens. And I asked her, well, what is it like when you all go back to school and you talk about the books? And she says, well, and she'll call the names. They, their internet was down last night. They couldn't read it. And she could name half the class who couldn't access the book that night or a book. And the, the teacher can monitor. She just goes to the classroom's website <coughs> she can check on who has read the required reading or how far along they are because they just keep reading, they keep advancing to the different levels. But again, if you if it's not working, you can't do it. So um, we're 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 prisoners, so to speak, um, when the infrastructure or it is not working the way that it should and it's not necessarily any fault of, of the families because they had the tools sitting there in front of them. They may have paid the bill, but it's just there it's just not working. So you know, I, I don't I don't have an answer, but I think everyone needs to hear that story and it becomes very real for me when my child says, you know, have her class. I couldn't read it last night. Our internet was down. You know, and we can't shuttle our kids off to the library at eight o'clock at night. They're seven year olds. So library closes at eight. The library closes at eight. So, you know, that's that's an example of you know, something that's really great to minimize paper and damaged books and things like that, but you you, you are kind of a prisoner to to um, to a hot spot. You know, to I mean not a hot but making sure that you you know, you've got a signal and um, you know, but I, I certainly applaud you. Um, I was impressed because you you are aligning, and, that, and that's something that we're working. Um, we we are very much interested in as a board is to make sure that the work we're doing actually does align with the priorities and the goals. So I really appreciate that um, you can clearly I do that and and. Mia has already said you, you do that as well as anyone else in the <laughs> district. So, um, so I really appreciate that. So, thank you. Do you want to comment? Please. Please. Um, <laughs> this this um, I love my job. Mm -hmm. um, this is a really tough time of the year for me. This is a very very tough time of the year for me in the job because right now you know that a lot of the teachers. We just completed a, a, um, a quarter, and there was a lot of parent-teacher conferences that have occurred. And right now, I get a lot of calls from families within the district who says, um, I want to help my child. I'm in my parent-teacher conference, and the teacher tells me, well, there's this great, like you say, there's these great resources online. Go to Khan Academy. You know, go to go to easy easy bid. You know, or uh, just you know all the different tumble books. Exactly, I can name them all. Razkids. We can name them. We can click them off right now. But I can't afford the internet access. So, like I said, that that really that really 
hurts me. Because now we're sitting there in a situation where you have a parent that wants to help their kids, okay? They, you know, we, we always talk about, and let's just be honest, we always talk about parents, you know, that's the first thing we need to do is get them there to support their kids. So this parent is actually doing that. So now the parent is actually asking for help. They know that if, they, if they're going to come to the Community Connection Program, they're going to have to go through workshops. They're going to have to learn how to utilize the program and everything. They're willing to do that. But yet we do not have a solution for them. And yes, that child is probably on the other side of the achievement gap. Yes, that child is on the other side of the digital divide that we don't want them on. But there's nothing that we can do. So we need to, we need to figure out a solution for this. I mean, I, I just got back from a meeting over at FPG where I'm working with a bunch of parents, helping them to, to move to the other side of the digital divide. And it's just tough, you know, um, because <coughs> it. it's everything that we want in a parent. It's everything we want in a student. But we have to solve this issue. We're not talking about 90, 80% of the families in the district that we need to support. We're just talking about a very, very small percentage. So and we just need to be able to find that to feel I want to just speak on, I mean, um, as the chair, just uh, that the importance of what you're very passionate about, we first of all appreciate an awful lot. <laughs> And I think you've made a compelling, you know, this isn't new that we've been talking about. It is frustrating to try to make the headway through it, and I, I hear that in your voice for sure. And what I think also was key with what you were saying, Ray, is that with your commitment to focus on that, realizing our resources are limited, and that the absolute number of children you're talking about is manageable, which is part of our frustration in dealing with the achievement gap itself. Right. That group of children is manageable in terms of numbers for a district with this resources and all of that. So appreciate your passion about this, and certainly I would hope, you know, just even just nods of everybody that we're, we, we get that, and we appreciate the importance of trying to get you what you need to do to do that. But so as I mentioned, we've kind of reached a tipping point where this is absolutely critical, and Aaron's mm -hmm. been working on a solution. Uh, we've got RFPs out for telecommunications <coughs> to uh, help us in, 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 in looking at, uh, you know, what's the most cost-effective method for us to provide this access. We've got a device identified. We're going to be doing a pilot uh, for the second half of this year, and, and, and again, in our budget plan, uh, this is going to be a commitment. Thank you. Someone who hasn't had a chance to speak, uh, Mike? I have some um, Since 2013, our, our 21st century students, our first class, has graduated. Um, we're, we're behind the eight ball have to move faster. Um, and that means that you have to uh, have enough activation energy to get over that hump, to get from the paper to the digital, and um, we just need to do it. Um, so that's sort of my impression. I've heard this presentation uh, for 10 years, and it just isn't going fast enough. Um, and so I mean, there are ways to get around all of these problems, you're talking about the digital divide problem, but the lack of access, you know, you can use the Dropbox or something similar, um, where the document's actually on your device instead of in the cloud, so you don't need the access. Um, there, there are always ways around these things, and the faster we get there to be required to use them, the faster we're going to learn how to, how to get around it. Um, um, so, uh, the other 
people in, I'm thinking about the uh, the one to one. But the other point I always come back to is very simple things it's about the online grade books. Um, so it's not only the technology that is, I think, finally there for us this year, but also people have to use it. And that means that teachers are putting it in there, um, and they're as responsible for communicating uh, that as uh, students are pulling that data down. Uh, Mike, uh, I think that uh, I appreciate your frustration, uh, uh, you know, having heard this for uh, nine years, because I've been I've been telling you yes, guys yes. this. For <laughs> uh, but I, I think that we're we're making we're making progress on the technology side of the equation, in that things that were aspirational a few years ago are now reality today and can be delivered in a way that uh, that, that <coughs> is practical and uh, also more affordable. So, uh, so, so I like to think that you know what what, what you're saying, Michelle, is, is is really right. That the that it's it, it's becoming a you know a small a smaller set and an addressable set, and perhaps a set uh, where the outliers can be addressed uh, as as outliers. Uh, you know, letting letting Ray and the technology team focus on you know trying to solve the ninety percent the ninety percent of the problem, and then and then identifying those special solutions that are going to help us in the edge cases to help to, to help people uh, move along the rest the rest of the way through that. So I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to get a little further along this time. Yeah, and, and I, I appreciate all of that. Uh, obviously, the longer you, you should never buy a laptop because it makes sure it's cheaper and you can do more. Um, but at some point, you do need to have it to, to use it. Um, and I think the other point I would make is that living in both camps has its own downside. So when you're supporting both the digital and the non-digital, um, you have to duplicate all those processes. If you pull everybody over to one side, you can be more uniform and more efficient. At least that's my, my uh, perception. Right now it's from that group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try. Greg. Yeah, just first, um, I just mentioned as a member of the, uh, as a liaison of this test that, um, that, um, that Ray and the team used models of very innovative and useful collaborative technology to gain very effectively and efficiently input that perhaps could be a model for how we might gain input not only within the board but from the community. So eventually, I think there's there's you know, there's a lesson to learn there. Um, but also the just a couple of questions though. Uh, one on the on the issue of uh, uh, student assignments. Just to clarify, I thought our official policy was that mm -hmm. uh, that that uh, teachers were not to assign homework that required uh, internet access unless they were somehow providing library access. So that could be done in the school or in some environment where we could guarantee access. But so we, wanna, we don't want to say that you can't use resources. I don't think we are actually requiring. Is that access? Is that correct? Is it your policy? I'm not familiar with exactly what that policy is. Um, I know what one effort that we're making is to make sure that if, if uh, students, they, if a te teacher knows that there are students that are, don't have the access and providing an equal opportunity, that would be a non-digital, um, you know, resource. So, you know, we, we are we're pushing towards launching Google Apps for Education for students, but we know that there's going to be situations where students aren't going to have that access and so we need to make sure that we work with our teachers in having that that second plan for our okay. students that aren't so um, 
within the policies that 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 piece might be there, but I'm not sure about the not requiring internet. I mean, a question for um, Bill. Like the, I know that in the you had been working for a time with uh, internet service providers to and the city and other uh, stakeholders uh, to help with funding uh, access to the internet. Uh, is that still ongoing? I didn't. I don't recall seeing mention of those other collaborative uh, engagements. It, it is still ongoing. Um, we lost one of our partnerships at the beginning of this year, which really put a damper on things. Um, but um, like Rachel mentioned, we, are, we actually have an RFP that we are um, to generated that we should be receiving responses back to in December from um, all the major carriers in the area to be able to find a, 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 a solution for the internet access portion. We're also working with the, um, the town um, on bringing broadband to just the public housing community right now. Um, that program goes, uh, truthfully, within, even within the town, it's, it's still in flux. It's a very, very high level. They're doing some pilot testing and things like that. But um, to feel comfortable, to be truthful, to feel comfortable about it, that we could say that a student has internet access and can utilize it at home and there will be no problems, it's not there yet. And that's going to probably take years to be able to get to that point. So those are the kind of things that we're evaluating away. Is how do we actually provide a solution to the families? I mean, we can get computers to lower everybody. The issue is the internet access. So that's the that's the fence that we're trying to jump right now on how we can do that. Okay. And one quick question for um, our teacher. That um, you mentioned that right now um, teachers often feel like you're on your own when it comes to uh, finding useful technology to use in the classroom. Um, and, and of course, we, we have resources available like technology facilitators and things. So, but, so I'm, I'm, can you enlighten us as to maybe what are some of the things that prevent you from using those current resources that are meant to kind of help push, make technology available? And, and does this plan, you think, help address those hurdles? Um, I guess I should maybe clarify, it's not so much that um, we are lacking in um, like digital tools to use and our, our as you said, our, our instructional or our technological um, people in our schools do do that. It's more of the actual like curriculum resources that are often something that I have to go and, and find myself, but the I know that the home base um, program should be influential in, in, in being able to provide us with like social studies specific content that is in a digital format uh, that I can use in my classroom. Great, just to clarify, one of the, I pulled up the homework assignment policy and the policy is 3135 and what you might be thinking of is there is um, a paragraph that says homework assignments made by teachers should not be predicted on the assumption, predicated on the assumption that parents and guardians will provide materials, resources, assistance, or direct instruction to their child. Parents slash guardians should provide an appropriate environment for study, assist their child in getting organized, and monitor that homework has been completed. So this, according to what's on the web, the last time we looked at this was 2002. So it doesn't speak specifically to the inter internet, but it certainly, that would fall into materials or resources. So that, it's there. All right, um, you had a burning question. I did, but I, James had had a chance to speak. Um, 
this is probably going to sound like we're getting in the weeds. You know, we're notorious for doing that. But um, Mike um, dropped a word that I'm familiar with, um, Dropbox, as an option to deliver the materials to the student without having to use the internet. Um, so I have a question for the um, committee representatives um, because I have, I've, I've used that tool before, but if, if we're talking about web-based resources um, that allow the child to read or do math problems via a website, isn't that proprietary? Can it be dropped in the box? Or, or because the, my experience has been their um, original documents minutes, notes, things like that that someone might drop in the box for you to access at your leisure, but can things that are, that's my question, my burning question, because that would be a real solution as long as these things are not, can can you do that? I mean, do I just because I Without paying for a service to put those, those, those books. Well, I wouldn't say about putting full-fledged books in. Hopefully, our teachers are not are not putting in full materials like that. <coughs> Hopefully, within the, within the work we're doing, we're hoping to find you know the teachers are using excerpts and of you know of text and and we're definitely trying to. We, it's about providing a place for those materials and Google Drive is going to be able to do that for us as well. Within because that, that also has an offline app, so we do have Google Drive, uh, which we're we're hoping our students will be using for everything, and then our teachers are going to be able to share things that way. There might be materials that they scan and share, there might be materials they hit, but it's all password protected. So that would be an opportunity for that. Now, there, we do have to be careful with copyright, and that's another mm -hmm. set of lessons we need to teach our teachers about what percentage of content can you use and copy, because we know that that's something that a lot of people still need to learn in the digital world. So, and I'm, the example I'm using is, you know, these books. They're, they're guided reading books, so they're only seven or eight pages long. So, but because they're on a website, so I'm, I'm just thinking about a solution for probably those. Probably not, probably not. Probably and, and not so there, right. there have to be opportunities for in-class in class opportunities and then those opportunities for out-of-class and, and knowing where, you know, when, when and where to have that instruction. Uh, All right, so can I have James, do you want to say your comments? I know Annette felt badly about going ahead of your turn. <laughs> no, did you, is it okay? I'm sorry, you had something yeah. to add? I'm sorry. I, I just actually, I wanted to, um, there's, there's two scenarios too. So when we're looking at the use, utilizing the computers and the resources at home, I mean, there's two scenarios that were within my house where my daughter actually had a printed sheet and she was doing some science work and there was a word on there that she did not understand, did not know. So what did she do? She went to her computer and looked up that word. Mm -hmm. Okay, dictionary.com and actually pronounced the word for her. So. That's something where, yes, she technically she did get the paper, she could have done it, but that computer helped her. Oh, yeah. Another scenario was um, my son in the same science class, I think he must have been asleep in science class, because when he got home and he was doing his homework, he actually went on a line and the teacher actually posted the lecture. So he actually spent the next, you know, five, ten minutes actually watching the lecture again and then he was able to do his homework. So that's where the gray, it's not just purely the work itself. Right. It's, it's like I say, we're talking about yeah. a 21st century learner, growth mindset, 
don't know if you call it a growth mindset because my son was asleep during the class and did it at home. I don't know how much he actually grew, but you understand what I mean by that. In the sense that that's how he was going. But that's that's really that's really where the technology comes into play. We won't tell you said that. I know. I, nobody heard that. You are being taped. All right, James. Um, I just, uh, and I appreciate, sorry, just the comments and everybody's richness. I'm trying to balance getting everybody's input and also the timing because yeah. we have another huge topic we have to cover and I appreciate everybody's passion on all these things. James hasn't had a chance to speak so I'm really trying to let him have his floor. Go ahead. Uh, just one quick thing. Um, you know, it talks about here about pilot one one program and a targeted June 2014. Is that an end of the pilot or a beginning? We're actually starting some pilots uh, right now. Okay, so you've already identified some classrooms. Yeah, yeah, we have this a, works. a few in a few schools uh, with various devices that we're really looking at, and uh, so I say the rest of this year is going to be a very critical year to shape our, our, our future. So, so the report created in June 2014 will have some results in it. It'll be. Yeah, I this think is we're going to have some recommendations <coughs> this spring to say this is this is the direction that we need to go in. I knew that Greg would be very happy to see the centralized collaborative learning resource. You've been pushing that for as long as I've known you. Make sure it was in there. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, I compliment the group on, on uh, having that as one of the big priorities. Um, I thought it, and I had just starred almost the whole report. <laughs> but it was, hopefully we will make some progress with the town. I didn't understand it the other night when we met with town hall. And they were talking about this, where it's going to be really, really fast, and, and I was just, I had no clue what they were talking about, except it's going to be really good, and I hope that, that it will help um, more of our kids to have access. And I remember in 2002, as before I was on the board, the big push, and of course then it was like, teachers couldn't require that kids have a coaster board, or diorama stuff, and materials, you know, and, and, um, and, and everybody knew it, but that's been a long time, and, and one of the councilmen that night had a story about a, a East Chapel Hill High School teenager, a female, who doesn't have access, and, and the library closes, but it's also, there's no bus access to get to the library that's safe and secure for our, our kids and our students, so I think it would be important if administration could remind teachers, just remind them that you know not everybody has that access and it's not right to have homework and grades that are dependent upon that without um, providing time, you know, in the labs or in the classroom for kids to have it. I'm the one board member who I, I like that you um, that I question the one-to-one. -one. I think if you're going to bring your own device then it might be affordable. But I worry that because of a budget with a 2.2 deficit going into it um, you know that when it's not just the device it's the instruction with the device. And so it has to, I like that I like that then you had the whole uh, professional development priority that has to be intertwined with it because if the teachers just teach the same way, it has your your tools need to be integrated with what Dr. Party and, uh, is doing with Common Core and the Institute for Learning, so that it's a meshing, um, so that the instruction matters far more. And, and we have to make trade-offs between TAs and technology. I'm probably going to lean for the, you know, the, the the person if they're well trained. But I'm, I'm hopeful then, it sounds like you're working on financial resources and ways that we can can do both. Um, but I'm always, Maine's had one-to-one -one for over 11 years, their scores aren't any good. That tells me that, um, they might be better in North Carolina, but they're not any good. They're mm -hmm. not in the top or e echelon. 
that we we have to make sure. That's why it's so nice to have a teacher, and we have Miss Atwater there to focus everything you're doing on teaching and learning, and that's really good. So I, I was echo Mia that this is always a great report. I always vote for it. I'm not a techie, but I have, you know, if I could have three screens like that at work everywhere, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> you have three screens, I'm getting a point. She's a student. You know, <laughs> I'm getting a point. She's an accountant. They're under $200. She's like, got $400. You know? Ooh, you can see everything then and refer back. Yeah. Great. Right. So, uh, board members, um, I'm just going to let you know it's 825 and, um, we, this item is on work session, so if it's all right, I'd like to close our discussion and give the opportunity if there's any public comment, and then we can keep moving through our agenda. Is that all right? Mm -hmm. um, unless the administration feels any more input from us. <laughs> Don't say anything. <laughs> all right. Um, this item is on work session. If there's anyone here in the audience who would like to comment, um, we'd love to hear about it. <coughs> we have three minutes. Anyone? All right. Well, seeing no one, and I will, um, on behalf of the, the board, thank you all for your time and um, dedication and passion yes, on this. Yes. Um, appreciate it. Thank you so much. So our next item is, um, is also on work session. It's the accountability results. Um, it's slated for 60 minutes. Just keep that in mind. Um, and Dr. Billock is going to be running this, I believe. Is that right? Yes, and I... And I know Dr. Bowak will discuss this, but um, this being the uh, initial year and different years <coughs> for all school districts and the time to run that, I'd like to thank Dr. Bowak for the time um, that she's put in, especially under the constraints of not having as much time as you usually, usually do uh, to examine yeah. the results and make sense out of the results. And, and we wanted to get her here um, as at this point, knowing that she probably has to back again because we still haven't had a chance to do some of the other work with the uh, test results with, with the principal. So but since the results are out, we wanted to get her here as soon as possible. All righty. Good evening. Good evening. It's been a while. hope you're all well. Um, all right. I do want to kind of go back to what's normal and then talk about what happened this year so you kind of have some context before we start the report. Um, normally, we scan our own data and we can tell immediately how well a kid did. So I'm making databases and things all through the month of June and products with principals so they can dig into the data in a systematic way. And then I meet the entire month of July with every single administrative team for two or three hours and do kind of a data literacy PD, make sure they understand how to read it. I give them a template that helps them walk through the data in a very systematic way. Um, and then in August, the state board approves the accountability data on the first week of the month. And the last board meeting in August, I bring you the report that we're having tonight. And then about a month later, I bring you an ad hoc report that has varied over the years, but it's generally growth. When we have growth data, that's pretty much what we're doing. So this year was really odd. Um, we were supposed to get data in the first week in October, and the state school board voted to table the decision because they really were not quite prepared to go to the high, high standards, which would cause proficiency levels to look lots lower. Um, they came back a month later with probably a better argument about why that made sense, and they, in the end, approved what they had brought in October. 
So I had started to see data about the middle of October, but it was still preliminary. And um, we got final data on the 7th, which is two weeks ago today. And so I've been working like a crazy woman and brought you a report and I've been making the product for principals and I'll be meeting with principals in December and even into January. And then I'll do the next report, <coughs> assuming it's going to be a growth report, but we can discuss what that might be. All right, tonight I have three objectives. Um, I want to brief you on the changes to the state accountability program, which are enormous. Um, I want to talk about how the expectations of the state and federal accountability programs are going to um, require us to improve student achievement at an unprecedented rate. Um, I think that's a really huge piece that's kind of my takeaway from this data. Um, we'll certainly go over the outcomes and then I'm certainly here to answer questions. Um, so if you have the PowerPoint um, document, I'm sorry we had some trouble with the link. Um, it's strange, I don't understand, so I don't know what I did wrong and so Scott's going to fix it for us, but you should have been able at the last page of the document to click the link and go to a folder in Google Docs that had all kinds of other stuff for you that was sort of supplementary. If you were curious, you could go look at it stuff. And <coughs> that link didn't work. Um, and so we ended up sending, we've emailed you that link now. Um, and Scott is fixing it for me and reposting the, the report. So I'm not sure if that's happened yet, if you're online. So I don't know if you click on that, you'll get to a folder or not. You you, you got the, link, the one that you sent us at least at the moment. Yeah, that link I know will work, but he's fixing the PDFs so you can, in the report it says click here. <laughs> yeah. And it took you to Google Drive, right? It just took you to Drive. And I'm like, so I'll, I will learn just in time, right, PD, for, for um, stuff like that. All right, you know about Common Core. I'm not going to belabor that point. Obviously, when you have radically different curriculum, you need new tests. We've gone through this in 06 with mathematics and in 08 and reading. This is the next iteration. What's unusual about this is it's every single subject. So instead of having just EOG math that was new, we had every single test new, um, including those lovely measures of student learning. But those are not a part of the accountability program. Um, so if you go to the um, picture that looks like this, the little blue table, look the third or fourth slide. <coughs> um, on the left, we have the AECs of public education. So just to remind you, it used to be a check mark table. And we, on one side, we would talk about whether they met AYP or not. And on the other side, you had a performance composite, which was just a weighted percent proficient across all the subjects. And you would get a growth statement like uh, met, exceeded, or did not meet. And then I calculated for you um, the percent of students who met individual growth goals. And so there was a percentage there that you could look at. And it was for schools only. Districts were never part of it, so we, the aggregate for the district wasn't um, considered. So this year, they made it really, really, really different. Okay, so we had 34 goals last year. We have 947 this year. I was little sort of, I mean, I knew what we had, but when I put it all together for you, I'm like, wow, that's a lot. That's huge. So we now have EVOS growth. So EVOS is a product from SAS, um, and that growth is quite different. We don't get student by student growth. We can only look at it in groups, and we can only look at it on the internet. I have export capacity, but I haven't had a lot of time to dig into what all I can export to manipulate. Um, I've told you that this district is now included. So 
used to be, that's good English, in the past, <laughs> um, all of the goals were for the school as a whole. So there were no disaggregated goals um, for racial groups or for English as a second language or anything. So now all of the goals are disaggregated for all of those groups and the state added AIG. So that's not part of federal notes all left behind, it can't be, but it's a local piece. Um, and I got a note recently saying that there's a problem with AIG and they know it and they haven't fixed it yet. So we have some odd AIG results that might get better. I won't know until they fix it. Um, so then we also have the goals. Every goal from the federal notebook left behind is now part of the state. Okay, so we're going to see repeats here. We're going to do EOG, reading and math, three through eight, science five and eight, English two. Um, they've added being on track for graduation measures, and so this is math one by 10th grade and having finished biology by the 11th grade. And then, you know, the whole point of this was career and college ready, and so they have new goals for graduates. One is math course rigor, which says that they passed Algebra 2 before they graduated. It will be Math 3 once we start teaching Math 3. Um, and then we gave the ACT and the ACT work keys. Um, and graduation goals were not a part of ready in the past, but they are now. So lots of new stuff. So at the beginning, when they have a new measure, set of measures like this, they have to reset the standards or what the state calls annual measurable objectives. So these are the targets. And in the baseline year, the targets basically are the average in the state. And they did it separately, group by group, following federal guidelines under the No Child Left Behind waiver. So the fact that we have a different um, cutoff in terms of what would be meeting the goal for different groups is a federal thing based on that waiver. That's not a choice the district made or the state made. It's part of the federal requirement. Going with that federal requirement, and this is kind of part of the punchline tonight, is a requirement that we reduce non-proficiency by half. And what they say is six years, it's really five years. So we have baseline now, we have five more years. So for example, and I'm just going to pick easy math, if we have a group that's at 20% proficient, non-proficiency is 80%, half of that is 40%, and we have five years to move the kids from 20% proficient to 60% proficient. And then that next six years, we'll repeat that. So we'll have six years to reduce the remaining 40% down to 20%, etc. And so the idea is, that while those are not equitable to begin with, they will move the gaps along. And so um, if you look at the graph that looks like this um, in front of you, that is the annual measurable objectives in mathematics, and the pattern is the same everywhere else, so I just gave you math. And so you can see along the bottom, um, the leftmost data points are math in 2013. This isn't our performance, it's the goal the state set. Um, going out to math in 2018. And so then on the right-hand side, um, next to each one of those lines, I tell you how many percent proficient points we're going to have to move students, or the state's going to have to move students in order to meet this objective. Okay, so for students with disabilities, they need to move that group of students 44 percentage points in a five-year period that's more than eight points a year. 
a percentage points a year. This is not our district. This is not our district. This is the goals the state set. Okay. Right. They set them for us. They set them for everyone. The whole state has the same exact goals. Right. So this is just the pattern. So I'm trying to a point out that the amplitude of these lines is quite different, and so the lower they are to start with, the quicker they go up. Um, and then, um, so if you go to the next page, just in a nutshell, um, one of the other changes that's important is the minimum group size. So we've had minimum group size of 40 since the inception of um, AYP in the state, and um, part of the waiver was to bring it down to 30. So it's now 30, which just means there's more groups at more schools, which is probably not a bad thing. Um, so we had uh, 560 goals that were AYP federal goals. We met almost 97 of them. Um, there were an additional 387 goals for ready, getting to that 947 total. And about 95% of those were met. Um, and then I've given you links to take you to statewide results, <coughs> statewide executive summary, if that's of interest. So on the following page, it tells you just kind of a great big macro picture. How many schools at the state level and the district level met all of their AMO targets? I mean, they failed none. Okay? And for the state, that was about 25%. And for the um, district, it was about 35% in terms of you know, meeting 100% of all those 900. And, not Obviously, no school had 100, 900 goals. But, um, and then on growth, um, growth is in three categories, um, either exceed the expectation, you meet the expectation, or you did not meet. You can see the distribution for the states very um, kind of normal with 42 in the middle and 28 on either tail. Um, the district has more um, teachers um, in the middle, or schools rather, in the middle on net growth and 10% fewer and did not meet. Obviously, long term, we would like to see just about everybody and exceeded if not all right, so failed goals. We failed 27 performance goals. That's percent proficient goals, okay? And 20 of them were for one group. That's the economically disadvantaged student group. And no other group had more than two. And so there was this very pervasive pattern that is students with um, economically disadvantaged students, students with free and reduced lunch um, support, and um, not really particularly any other group. Um, we also failed a lot of participation goals. So we missed 15 on the ACT. Um, ACT is really different than end of year tests. End of year tests, you have a pretty long window to do makeups. ACT, there's a day you give it and a day for makeups, and that's it. And so we're sending letters, which is a requirement to the families of kids in these schools. And the plan has to do with uh, making sure the 11th graders get the importance of taking the ACT and why they would want to. Um, also, we're going to um, start calling families' homes for kids who fail to take the test, and that means we're going to have to get translators um, because we missed this in a number of cases for Latinos or for LEP kids. And so we need to have translators who can make those phone calls and understand what to say. So we're going to try to put that, in, we will put that in place for the ACT this year. So if you missed day one, we're making phone calls to mom and dad and explaining they need to be in school on day X. And, um, and then pulling them from class. So if you do an on-call and say y'all come down and they don't all come down, that someone physically go 
to their classroom and takes them up the hall. Um, you think the teacher would think. Um, so in any case, um, that's the plan for uh, kind of working on the participation. Um, you might notice that Glenwood Elementary failed to meet a participation goal, which is very, very rare on elementary or middle, because the kids go to school every day. Uh, what happened in this particular case is it was LEP students, and they were in school and took the first of the two EOG exams, and then they moved to their country, wherever that was. And so she called me and said, what are we going to do? And I said, there's one thing you can do. They're going to be, so the way we're held accountable is that before the test, there's a day on which they pull all the data out of NCYZ. The kids, you must test. And so the students were appropriately enrolled, came and took the first test, and then left. And there's nothing you knew about it. And so it was tiny, tiny, <coughs> right at 30, and two kids missing in a group of 30 as your family. So in that case, it was um, just this weirdness that will happen on repeat. All right, then on the next page, I gave you um, some data on the current economically disadvantaged students. We've been talking right now about 12, 13 data, but I thought we really needed to know about the data now. Um, and so you can see in the upper right-hand corner that about half of the students are EDS only, um, but that another 42% um, of students have other obstacles to their learning, 27% um, failing, to, or I'm sorry, being also limited English proficient, and 15% being identified as a student with disabilities. On the bottom right, you can see a distribution by race. Um, while I was doing this report, I came to see that we now have more um, Asian and Latino students than African Americans in the district by proportion, and I think that's the first time that's been true. Not just EDS, but in general. Top being Asian, then Latino, then Asian Latino are pretty close. Um, so, and then you can see here that you know the racial breakout of the. So about 1,200 Latinos, about 1,000 African Americans, and 400 each of whites and Asians. So it's about one in four students in our district, which is a lot of kids. It's 3,200 students. On the next page, I just wanted to illustrate that the students are distributed across the schools. Um, Phoenix Academy um, and Great Puerto Rico have higher proportions for predictable reasons. Um, and North Sides is the highest among the other schools that don't have sort of magnet situation. All right, so pretty much they're all racial groups, they're in all schools, and they, 42% of those students also have other obstacles to their learning. So I wanted to figure out, if we're going to need to make this eight and a half point percentage point per year, <coughs> have we ever done that before? Kind of what happened in the past? So I went to math, um, it's a five year change from 2006 to 2011, and that mirrors the 13 to 18 change. Um, and so on the next page where there is a chart, it's in blue, um, you can see at the left the proficiency in 2006, the first year that new math test was given, the proficiency in 11, the change in percentage points, um, percent proficiency points um, from the beginning to the end, then I give you the actual proficiency that we had in 2013. The AMO, that goal for 18, how much change we're going to need to make, and a comparison to the past improvement. So in general, it's 35% faster, but note students with disabilities is like 43% faster. So um, we're going to need to um, get ourselves, we are getting, we obviously have lots of things going on trying to move that, um, and we can talk about some of those.
you know about the long-range plans, so I'm not going to go through that. Um, literacy coaches and math coaches are huge. RTI is expanding. Um, I think RTI is an important part of this process where we find kids early on who are not making good progress and we're doing something right then and there. That's huge. Um, we are doing professional development on how to write really good units through the understanding of that design. Um, and those units really have to do with making sure that they are um, things that help students develop a deep understanding of the <coughs> and not just memorize it and um, have to give it back to teachers. Um, so we gave you some reflective questions. Um, one thing that we've done um, in the face of this data is to create a central office team. Um, much of the, well, all the curriculum people from ISD, Amanda Harkness, who's RTI, I'm on the group. Baldwin, who's coming in for EC, and Helen Atkins for ESL. Um, we're going to be meeting on a very regular basis and really look, diving into the data and really looking at um, the MCAS data that we just, or the Ames Web or stuff we just had in the fall. Um, certainly, we're going to be looking very carefully in February after <coughs> the January 2nd test, and we want to see that growth and which schools are making growth and which schools are not, or teachers, and kind of help principals to. Um, know how to support their teachers in moving to this proper implementation and doing the things that the district is asking. Um, and so we're going to have to be really building data literacy among the principals so they really get the data and can talk about it. Um, and Amanda's been doing a lot of that work actually with PLC. She's out going to see every single PLC in elementary school about their first round data. And so there's, there's a lot of effort going on around getting people to get what the data means and then to do something differently and then in that folder on the internet, you have um, some growth files that are just um, kind of overall by course by school. Um, you have proficiency. I gave you achievement level breaks because I thought you might want to see the distributions are quite different than we've been accustomed to. Um, and so those were just really meant as backup to this. Um, there was also a what I always call the color table within the accountability data. Uh, it used to be our AYP table, and now it's the everything table. And so I'm going to pause there and ask if you have questions or things you would like to discuss. Thank you very much for trying to synthesize an awful lot in a short time, um, even though it's later than the year than we're used to. Board members, um, do you have any questions in particular? First? A real basic one. Sounds good. Just so basic. It's okay. So. When, when will our test scores, will we be able to compare them to other states? This is right, you cannot compare this to any other no, states, the right? No, 14-15, assuming the state adopts Smarter Balanced, the 14-15 measures, so that's next year, next school year, we should be moving to these Smarter Balanced um, consortium assessments. And they are, um, those are the ones that would be shared with 23 states and would be able to benchmark. So how did they pick what's proficient and what's not proficient. How did they, how did they pick at them? Um, you're asking me to think about standard setting. Um, yes, I guess that's it. You, they brought teachers together and they have a very um, structured experience with the teachers. Um, showing them the common core standards, what is expected at grade level proficiency, 
having them look at sample test at the test questions and which questions look proficient. So um, that's not a, the most cogent answer you've gotten all day. Um, but it's this very guided research-based approach to setting standards. And so that was what was done um, statewide. Um, we're at about 45% proficient, and we're here about 68% proficient as a district. Um, and that was part of what the pushback was from the state school board was, wow, that sounds really low. So you can imagine if we're at 68 for somebody at 20. Yeah. Right. Well, I was um, just questioning if it's valid at all. Um, they, what they did is they, and I actually forgot about this part, they linked the end of grade and end of course scales to the ACT test scale. And so obviously it's all about college ready, and ACT is the state's measure of college ready. And so even the third grade test is on the scale with the ACT. And so if you're proficient on these measures, then you're on track to be ready for, to be college or career ready when you graduate. Okay. And so that's why we must move all these kids up rapidly, um, because that's obviously the goal that we all have. Okay, thank you. Okay, that probably helped. Yeah. Speaking of ACT, um, yes. so in participation, it, it was kind of surprising to me um, that we did meet, is it 15? Yeah, there are 15 goals, goals and, and the average missing of a goal was for three students. So when you say you missed it, they weren't, they're supposed to measure or test at least 95% of kids. Um, and if you look at the data table in that folder, it's... Um, Many of them were at 93 or 94 percent, not at 95. So, isn't um, well remind me? Isn't this test going going to be a require a graduation requirement at some point? It's not a graduation requirement. It's a state requirement, like we give an end of course test at the end. So every 11th grade is required to take the test. And so the structure that they used wasn't tight enough. And so we'll be working, the testing department will be working with each high school and make sure that they have a plan, that they know exactly who the kids are. Um, I support this notion that they need translators to make phone calls since it seemed to be more um, limited English for students than other groups. It wasn't only that group. But um, okay. we want to make sure that they can communicate with families and make sure the kids are there. Okay. Uh, but it is sort of a problem if the students are willfully choosing not to be in school, whether they're truant or whatever. And it's not made up? It can't be made up. There's only one makeup day. So it's, there's a day you test and a makeup day for ACT, and there is no other option. So it's not like the first moment. For regular state tests, the moment they come back to school, you grab them and sit them down and they take the test. For ACT, you can do it on this date or that day. <coughs> so we're going to have to be more on top of getting kids there. So how is it a requirement if it's not going to be made up to, to exit? That's a really good question. You so only have the one. Yeah, they have to take it. They have to take it. The state's not I mean, I can see how we're 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 measured in this little window whether you have them sitting down or not. But at some point, the child has to give it, right? So have those. Few no, I mean, we really can't give it on any other day because of the ACT rules. Okay. And so we are being held accountable for something we don't have a great deal of control about. Okay. But we will do more. We we can do more. I think we can tighten up. I think we'll get it okay. We're going to get fixed. Others? Great. Yeah, um, yeah, thank you again.
have a question on the growth rates uh, that's needed by state standards. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the um, so the um, so we have our own uh, objectives of, of well, how does this compare to EVOS growth? Well, EVOS growth is what you have here, um, or what led to these statements of met and not met. I mean, in terms of the the amount we need to grow So you're talking about the long-range plan goal, too, to have low-achieving students for like a year and a half? Yeah, yeah I'm not entirely certain we're going to be able to measure it that way. Um, so as I said, the data is stuck in the computer. I can export summary data. I can't get child by child. And if you really want to do what we put in that list, I've always had child by child, but now I don't. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is a chart in EVOS. So the other thing about EVA is you have to look at it at one subject at a time. So I'm going to say I click on district fourth grade math. And so I can go to this, this chart that breaks it down and it puts kids into five achievement categories. Statewide achievement categories. So bottom 20, 20, 40, 40, 60, etc. And I can see there uh, how much their growth differed from expectation and what the standard error is. If it's two standard errors above, if, if, the, if the magnitude is more than two standard errors above, then you've exceeded. If it's more than two standard errors below, you've failed to exceed and everything else is in the middle. And so I can look at that. I'm not sure I can manipulate it. So like, how do I aggregate that? So this is where I'm kind of thinking through. Um, surely we could say we wanted to exceed growth for all students in the you know, 1 to 20 or the 1 to 40. And so we might need to just reframe So, I'm still, I, you know, obviously just got all this stuff and I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it, but um, when I actually saw that goal of one and a half and knew we were going away from individual student growth, I was a little concerned. And, and so to meet the state targets for growth, uh, is, is that, um, that's presumably um, more than standard growth per year? Oh, it is. Yeah, so that's raising the percent proficient year by year, right? And so that means you're moving kids out from non-proficient up to proficient um, at rates that are faster than we've done before. And we haven't done nothing before. It's not like we were at zero and now we're at 44, but going from 30 to 44 is not a small matter. Um, so I think we're going to have to be very targeted with our understanding our data really well, working with our leaders and our coaches. Just one quick comment on the, and I'll, I'll turn it over, but the, um, there's, a, we have a lot of focus on professional development uh, to try to help our the teachers know how to accelerate the <coughs> progress. Um, just wanted to at least pass along for our, um, our, uh, our staff, we probably get this feedback, but some, there's some concern from, some desire from the teachers, I think, I've been hearing expressed um, that as we do this professional development, that we have to be careful that we have a balance. And sometimes there's so much homework with professional development that it detracts from being able to, uh, to kind of do the instruction. Uh, so, um, so hopefully we can do professional development that, that can 
contributes to what they have, you know, helps make them more effective in what they, you know, delivering instruction that they have to do with the children, uh, as opposed to learning some neat concepts and then and then have to separately um, do the do the classwork the next day. So and we are we're all on board. We need professional development. I just want to at least pass along that there's some concern about and you know, there's no one pushing back with professional development, just pushing back. I just wanted to make sure that, that it's understood that um, teachers are feeling even more overwhelmed. James? Hey, just to follow up on I don't know if you would you look at this chart page eight about the, the school growth. SMTS. Yeah, because I, I think it's important to know the, the, yeah, the school the school growth. Right. It's really, it goes, this I assume exceeded versus met. This is the whole 60% of students. No, that's gone. The 60% is gone. That's all gone. So what is exceeded versus met? It means that there was an expectation set statistically, and then they looked at how well the students did, and there was a difference between those two. If that how do they? How do they? How do they create the expectation? Well, or how do they bring the students together? How do they? There's a better word for that. But, um, how do they summarize the students in that? Yeah. Um, it's a proprietary model by SAS, so I don't have exactly how they do it. Um, they look at um, students' own histories, so they get you know they have historical data. Uh, they look at statewide performance. They look at so. When we say what the expectation is, it's what the average teacher in North Carolina did. So statistically, they're modeling that amount of growth. So it's sort of a statewide average, and then how the class actually performed compared to that expectation is calculated. So if it's above zero, and it's two standard errors above zero, then it's exceeded. And if it's two standard errors below zero, more, more than two standards below zero, then it's called not met. But so all I get is a, um, a mean growth difference from zero to up or down, and then a standard error. Those are two data points. At the school level. I get it at school level, and I get it at the district level. And then we have teacher growth. Um, that's part of standard six for the educational educator effectiveness data. Um, so the because of some kerfluffles around last year's data, they've, um, they're going to do a, a status for teachers after three years of growth are collected. And so for this first round, they said they would take the best two out of three years. So this year, for some reason, whether it was MSL problems or other things, um, they would kind of have some wiggle room. After that, it will be a rolling three-year average. Um, and so that takes that's particularly helpful for an elementary teacher who teaches 25 kids. And students who have not been in the district, sometimes they can make predictions for them based on some things, and sometimes they can't. And so not all students end up in the model, right? And so if you have a 25 class kid and you have a lot of transient kids in the room, you might only have data for 17 of them. And so obviously you want to aggregate that over three years so that they have some level of statistical power. Um, is there... I don't know who to address this to, but <laughs> how do we complain about this, right? I mean, what what we put in the goal of the long-range plan, I believe, is what what our stakeholders, our community wants. They want every single kid to grow at least a year. I mean, 
Sean and I just got off the campaign show. We said this over and over again, right? Um, with exactly what's in the long range plan. And if you can't get that data, either that we'll have to, we'll we have to Diane, fix take it a look at how they're measuring that and figure out a way to equate that to what does this mean in terms of. So, I don't know. So yeah, but they want to be. We base that goal we need on the, per kid thing. the way we usually got the data. Right. I was thinking there could be a way that because I just made a note with you know with the idea of the dashboard that we're having. We're talking about trying to have vertical alignment, so you literally wrapping your arms around those kids so that you can make sure they are getting that. What we're trying to accomplish is what the states do in a very aggregate way of closing that that gap. So we want it on the individual level. We want to make sure that kid is getting a year and a half every right. every year. And if they move from this school to this school, then we still have to keep track of that kid. And we have to have a way with the techies who just left to do that. And it, it, the, the that kid is getting that information. The parents are. So at a school level, we have that. And so it, it may be a matter of when we get the dashboard piece going that you're right. You know, whatever they figure it out. We but might have multiple. Have to, we, we could have not just rely on Yes. But there could be a way we can measure it well, here. We could. We, if, we could. We could spend a lot of work doing that. Or what I'm suggesting is we as a board need to talk to the state board mm -hmm. or to the legislature or whoever and say, this is not acceptable. We mm -hmm. need better data. We need this EVAS model opened up more so that we can meet right. the needs of, of what we're asked to measure. But I think part of this is a, a um, respecting the fact that our administration hasn't had a chance to totally digest this and figure out how to play around with it and, and interact with the other data managers there. And that part of when we're done here, we're going to have a better idea of how this is coming back to us and timing-wise. And at some point, if we're not able to reconcile what, what we need, you know, that may be the time to do that. Um, she had, I mean, she hasn't been able to figure it out. So that's what I'm asking is where, where do we go next to help, to help you Get that because it's the right measurement in the long range plan. And, and until you have more time to look at it, I don't know if we can figure that out right now. But I'm sure, and, and maybe we can come up with, as you said, if you look at a dashboard, there might be multiple measures that will give us the data we need to make that determination. We certainly have growth on things like M class and NAs web well, sure, right. and so other things. So there are like other that. things that we can use. So in we can look at with you know right. their reading level going up a year and a half. And, and that's great to, to augment, but the state should still deliver the data that because I mean this thing about averaging growth you know, where I can grow 0.3 and somebody else can grow negative 0.3 and we're going to say everybody's zero, it's just not true. We're failing the kid who's, who's negative and we don't have any way to measure that. But you do see it when you break down some of this stuff with by, by the different categories that we are given. It's not at the individual level of the child, but we do have it by race and economically disadvantaged. And we don't have growth by that. We have proficiencies. Right. Yeah. Let me remember. Um, I, I'm remembering that things have been distorted. That we think that we could evaluate some of these tests on a child level. That that, that some of the tests well, were never supposed to be used for individual child evaluation. They're supposed to be, you know, that's why N was 40. Uh, or what am I? So you don't want to So the tests were made to measure schools. Schools, right? They're they are designed right. to measure schools, and um, so I think DPI would push back um, respectfully that the um, 
statistical model we used to use was highly unreliable at the child level. Right. So we would get growth for a child and we would have to put a half a standard deviation band all around it, um, which was a lot better than knowing nothing. Um, I could calculate the old growth. I can pull down the old formulas and standardize stuff and probably calculate it. I think we'd have to do that and then look at what EVOS is telling us and make sure those line up. If they do, that's probably a simple answer. Um, that does mean I have to assume that the regression toward the mean coefficients are the same, which is, I don't know how good or bad of assumption that is. But the method, <coughs> I mean, all they basically did was take two previous scores, put them on a standard you know, z-scale, and compared them, you know, they averaged them, put this little tweak on it, and measured it against what they got. But you still have these huge errors. Right. And so um, I'd like to look and see if there isn't a way to use the EPOS data, which is more stable. I think we do have to look at individual kids, but I think it needs to be with other measures. Mm -hmm. What you were saying were augmenting measures. So if they're not making movement on MCLAS or AIMS Web Math or MAP, um, then we've got a problem. And um, MAP correlated with um, the state tests at like 0.86. That's really, really high correlation. Um, and so um, a lot of the measures were, were correlated very nicely. Um, so I'm going to look into that. It's absolutely on my list. I'm very aware of that second piece and completely passionately agree with you that we need to know if kids aren't moving so that we can work with them and that it is what they're on board. And, and, and I just, I, I just, I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, I think that mm -hmm. if you look at proficiency and, and we lead with proficiency in terms of how we measure our schools, we don't get the growth mindset. We don't give any encouragement to our staff, to our students, that the growth mindset is what we're all about. And so I think we have to lead with growth measures for individual students because that's what we believe in. Yeah, and the growth measures, though, have to be appropriate. And that's, you know, part of the problem we have right now is for these are too coarse. We might have others that are more just in time and, and, and ones that they'll have progress. Really what we want is a growth growth mindset that's, that's, that's over time, but also reacting as opposed to Once again, this kind of gross course. Not on time. So, right. Exactly. Not, not a problem. I just, yeah. we need to lead with that as a district because that is what we believe in how we measure ourselves and how we measure right. everybody. Um, a, a question. I just want to make sure that I'm understanding. Um, uh, you attached to the PowerPoint some reflective questions. Yes. So, um, the second bullet. Which questions? Are the mm -hmm. questions? For reflective. the end. Reflective question. Yeah, okay. So failing to meet the AMOs, the baseline year, mm -hmm. means that we performed less well than the state as a whole. That is so, a true statement. Okay, so can we, for clarity and um, just for emphasis, can we take a look at one example? Uh, the, the main example is that we missed on 20 EDS goals. So the so the they set those standards. They set the standard base sort of on a state average. It's not exactly the state average, but it's pretty much that way. And so if we're failing in the baseline year against which that standard, which is 12 13, is the then we did less well in the state. Okay. Right. And so I haven't yet done the work, which I certainly will do, is to figure out who the districts were who did quite well. We have schools who did quite well. Ephesus Elementary School really stands out, Glenwood stood out, 
um, for those students. I think at the, I'm trying to remember, there was a school that was a really good um, middle school. So we have, you know, excellence going on in our schools.
Um, as a matter of process, the board meets um, every year to evaluate the superintendent, which we did. Um, and um, obviously, those who read the letter were very pleased with our superintendent and the hard work that he's doing. Um, we couldn't possibly encompass all the work that you've done, Dr. Priscilla, in the time that you've been here. So these points that you <coughs> highlighted are just just a, just a smattering, um, trying to get a flavor for it. But uh, by omitting things, it wasn't because we don't value those as well. It's just we, we're trying to make it legible and not too long. And that's a real challenge for our group, as you know. <laughs> um, I don't know if any other board members want to offer any words um, before I ask for a motion. I would just say thank you very much, Dr. Priscilla, for your service uh, since you've been here, and looking forward to uh, more great things. Um, and also that there's a line missing. Where is it? Oh, yeah. We were just it's on the bottom of the letter. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good. It's all good. That was the line about the board. Which he did fix us. And I, I just also like to thank you for sharing the. The passion of the community to, you know, to make a real difference, you know, whatever that takes. Uh, I think we value uh, that commitment to getting things done. Recognize it's work to do, but you're, the, you're getting it done. Yeah. And I guess, you know, just as key points that we did um, write to extend um, the contract <coughs> for the public to know, and also we certainly considered that um, a raise would have been merited, but given our economic climate, we aren't able to do that. All we can do is praise you and try to support your work. <laughs> do I have a motion? Uh, just, oh, uh, yeah, one, one, just one other extension yeah. on that, just yes. so it's clear for the record that we did extend the contract as long as it was legally allowed by the General Assembly. There you go. Our hands are tied in terms of how many, what we can add. I'm the president. Thank you. And we have a second? Excellent. Any more discussion? All right. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Passes. Glowingly at 7 is Next item up is 7B um, recommendation for um, approval of class bank resolution, Dr. Priscilla. Yes, you have in front of you um, a resolution that has been created. Um, uh, Ken also took a look at this to make sure we set everything the right way. It's something we've been discussing for, for quite some time. I've had some conversations with um, Dr. She, who suggested that the first step to continue to move this is really the board making this resolution. Um, and then the resolution could be passed on to one of our representatives, and she has said that she would, if not herself sponsoring, find others to sponsor. Um, <coughs> to move forward, um, and she really, she believes it's a bipartisan issue, so she would, would be looking for members of both parties to, to, to support this. Um, we also need to know that DPI, since we've had this, we've begun this discussion, um, has said that they now have put a task force together to look at this issue um, and how to how to address it statewide. So. There is, there is other support on their borders. And I guess
guess one question, if you don't mind, um, is the uh, feedback loop to the groups that, that also were bringing this to our attention in terms of just how you're keeping them informed with the SITs and the, yeah, the and high school the, uh, that, that original group that, that began this conversation and actually the, uh, uh, the student advisory group has been very involved with this process. Some of them have graduated, mm -hmm. um, but there's still those that, that have been involved with this. They're informed <coughs> Parents of the, especially that, that group of parents that has had began this conversation, uh, I've been communicating them to them that it is being presented. So, I'm sorry, Dr. Forsella, did, did I understand you to say that uh, Val Fasheed thought that this could be a local bill or this would be a statewide bill? It would be something that I think would be a statewide bill that would give local control over whether or not to <coughs> so that if someone in other district said no we like to rank kids right. Oh, right so not to create something that's more divisive to try right. to just give control to the local commission. So, so I, I maybe this is already on the agenda but I would uh, encourage us to share this with our Orange County colleagues um, either just directly by sending it to them or mm -hmm. I could share with Friend on High Five too yeah. that, that mm -hmm. this is something we pass, and if they pass similar resolutions, it would give us give it more. Right. So, so it's our mm -hmm. local districts, and then at the state level, um, I think we should talk to our school board association and see if this is something that. And actually, we have um, the uh, superintendents uh, conference coming up, so I could. Um, yeah, that that would be another forum in which to do that. The Joseph, um, they. Uh, don't adjust their legislative agenda except for one little amendment. So it would have that would actually delay it a year. But if it didn't go through in the short session, which is, you know, I'm not gonna lay odds, but um, yeah. Or, or they won't have a survey and the whole legislative committee meets and all that with the association. So would it be out of uh, out of order then for perhaps our parent group to to gather the contact information of the other 100 and so wards, uh, well, the 114 minus the Warren County and trying to buy five, 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 yeah. and maybe just send them an email saying we've adopted this. You're not suggesting a Facebook page or? I <laughs> didn't suggest that, but, but <laughs> that would be okay. Those parents do what they like. Yeah, yeah. Just um, what about um, reaching out to the City, district, consortium. Um, consortium. Consortium. So, and the money for reason. That, that's me. And I, I would add, um, if there's li resources are limited for that parent group, then thinking about where there are schools that are in similar situations to ours, say Hemlow and Raleigh, or if it's some Charlotte, you know, mm -hmm. and if we're really fortunate, there are districts that because there, this is going to be more appealing to, in some districts than others where there's kids really packed um, sure. um, at the top. So anyway, but that's really not our person. What I would say is what I'm hearing is there's general interest from the board in um, promoting this to try to maximize the track <coughs> um, center for she and maybe others would be able to get on this. And if in your um, the different meetings that you're having with the different suggestions that we've all had that that's one way and then if you see identify a need for us to do something more we, we can try to do that we certainly can do that within 
you know, whatever, if we pass this, I, I'm happy if you want to forward it on to Donna, you know, and, and make I could, sure. And I could also get, make sure that the DPI is aware that this has been done. So that might get them a little more money. James. James, were you suggesting that it's not worth letting the school board association know? No, I'm just saying they already voted on Tuesday for the upcoming. I, I understand, but they, yeah, that doesn't okay. mean they can't, but okay. they can even spread the word that there is a bill being considered even if they don't oh, have they a position. Oh, they will be, right. And right. they if will, let them know. And if there's a bill actually sponsored, they follow their guiding principles right. to know whether to lobby for it or not right. if the general delegation has not already uh, acted on that. Right. So we need to let them know. All right, so we'll add sending a note, sending this resolution if we pass it to the chair of the Orange County Schools and to um, the North Carolina School Board Association at Denver. Is that for? Okay. And then Tom will do his thing with all the different suggestions, but he'll figure it out. Um, the one editorial comment that we just need to fix is the date because we had to postpone this item. So the actual resolution has to have, instead of it's the seventh day, it has to have the 21st day of November. Just to be. Thank you, Jenzetta. Any other comments before I get a motion? So moved. Second. Any more discussion? All in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Great, you can just check off all these things you've accomplished. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Next, we're going to set the calendar for three years. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's going to be a huge one. <laughs> Discussion and action item 5C, recommendation for approval of adoption of school calendar for 2014-15, comma, 2015-16, comma, and 2016-17. Todd, please. Yes, so um, as you guys know, we've been changing the calendar probably or we've been adopting a calendar annually sometimes three calendars or the same calendar three times a year so um, I don't know I guess with all the craziness in the last legislative session they didn't have time to focus on calendars so um, it kind of got left alone and I'm cautiously optimistic that maybe we can get beyond just one year at a time without having to make challenges uh, changes so um, I figured give it a shot uh, and put three years worth of calendars down uh, for consideration by the board. These have been widely shared um, uh, as opposed to past years. I think we got very, very, very little feedback. I think people are starting to realize there really aren't that many options you can uh, really do with these things. Um, in terms of, generally people just didn't like the 1617 right. calendar, um, but based on where this, how the start year, how the start of the year and the end of the year falls in terms of the calendar, it, it's just, it's messy. Um, and then, of course, if the calendar law changes, uh, the board could revisit, would need to revisit uh, the calendar. Or, uh, I know we've had discussions about perhaps schedule changes, looking at year-round schools, looking at other types of school schedules. And so we, of course, could do that uh, at that time as well. In any case, we're uh, presenting three years of calendars for board consideration for approval this evening. Thank you very much. Board members, James. Um, Tom, I, I certainly appreciate, you know, I, I love having the three years ahead of time. I think that's a, an admirable question. <coughs> um, the problem, however, is that the 1617 calendar is so ugly that I don't, I mean, I'd rather use that as a, you know, we got to change it before we adopt it. we got to push for that to be fixed before we adopt it because it's, I, the idea of particularly the winter break being only seven days is, uh, is really, <coughs> really a problem. So, um, I mean, is it, 
you know, with, with the winter break uh, of only seven days, you know, when you look at how, I guess it could be longer, but it wouldn't. No, no, you get know, more flexibility on the front end. Right, right. Front end the back end. But just how the, even the dates around uh, the winter holiday falls. Yeah. Um, it's one of those you would, you would be getting school out perhaps on the 16th. That just seems really early to get school out. Or you go all the way through January 6th if you try to bridge um, all of those weekends. From time to time. Yeah, I think 11, 12, 2011, 12, we had a, a calendar that kind of looked like this. But noted. So I mean, I, I, would, I, was, I would rather approve two years and, and see how it shakes out before we approve 67. Okay. Let's see what others are thinking. Jamzetta? When the Democrats used to have the House, the House was willing and able to um, change a calendar law, but the Senate never would. Even if Democrats bad might put this in place, it's, I don't foresee it changing. Because the current legislators, for all their talk of local control, it's just, you know, oral poo poo. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what Johnny Carson years ago. So, I'm fine. I think it's, um, it's just better to go. No, no. You can move than me. <laughs> I, I, um, I think we might as well go ahead and, and put the put the calendar in place, it gives people time to plan. If some miracle happens, then you guys can easily change it and readily change it. I've been at Boards Liaison, we used to have the big committee and people would come and it was one of the most uh, public comment, but they'd line up um, for the calendar. But with the law is just so limited that people accept it and uh, I think we're okay to go ahead and move ahead and save time for Todd, basically. Mm -hmm. Other board members? The only thing I would ask is that it's be clearly, even though the translation is there on the right, but clearly marked what's the first day of school, what's the last day of school. We create different types of calendar cards, so this is just kind of, this is the base that gets us going, and then there's three or four calendars that clearly delineate that, yes. and we put that, those out on the website. Okay, that's great. I just know that that's sort of what parents end up zeroing in on, plus the holiday length. Um, all right, do I have a motion? Of the three calendars. Second. Any more discussion? Okay. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, it passes 7 to 0 with a duly noted third year if we get some free. Or a huge amount of snow, which none of us hope for. <laughs> Can you still get away from it? You have a huge amount of snow? Uh, only if you've had eight. It's like average over eight years or something. Uh, never mind. We'll never, we'll never. We don't want any snow. Right? There has to be a state of emergency, yes. I guess. You know, all right. Okay. We're all topic. <laughs> <laughs> Next, unless you're bringing it up, is sharing. Uh, I'm going to uh, bring up sharing with the board and superintendent. My, I'm going to share with my fellow colleagues a reminder, a gentle reminder, to make sure you uh, give me some insight about committee preference and in the near future, if you don't mind. Do you have any sharing, sir? Yes. Um, Last evening, Todd and I met with the PTA Council. Um, what Todd spoke about about budget, <coughs> and then we both um, shared um, and wanted to get information and input from the PTA Council about a better method for communication. Um, and we talked about when the issues come up, um, how there tends to be one-way communication um, with people lining up at the microphone. Probably at the most maybe seven seven things.
things over and over and over again. And there's got to be a better way. So what we came up with in working with them um, is to initiate um, at least to try uh, what we're going to call focused dialogues. So as we see an issue that comes up, um, how do how we framed it is, how do we hear from a more diverse group of people? So that rather than when an issue comes up and all you hear from is, as, as people on the PTA Council refer to as a sliver, how do you hear about all the other people that might be impacted by this decision, who, whose voice isn't heard? Um, so not that we wouldn't take away anything else, the public input, the emails, people can all still do that. This is another layer, and so what we're going to pilot and we're going to try actually on December 2nd is on the issue that's in front of us now, um, is to bring all the elementary schools, um, representatives from each one of the elementary schools together um, in a focused dialogue that would be facilitated, um, that would have at least one member from, their, from each school's PTA, one member from the SIT, other members that could be from either one of those groups, but there's flexibility in getting those other members with the hope of them really trying to find diversity so that we don't, if we just focus on the SITs and the PTAs, then we're not going to get that diversity. So it's going to be a pointed effort to bring diversity into the group so that when we bring, bring this group of 50 individuals together, the more closely <coughs> resemble our students. Um, and then at that time, then we would have to facilitate a conversation um, about the issues, and of course the issue in front of us now, um, about the, the issue which is really the Glenwood overcrowding, and let's keep it to that topic. Um, obviously there are ramifications, so that's why the way we spoke about this is this right now, this particular issue is an elementary issue, so that's why we're inviting the elementaries to participate. Um, the meeting would be open to everyone else, and we're planning on having anyone else who wants to attend, obviously can attend, and we're going to have an electronic way for them to give input. So we'll have some computers there, they can use their handheld devices, whatever, and then we would have all kinds of input that would go up on a screen so that everyone has an opportunity to do give input, but the, but the conversation is structured in a way so that all schools have an opportunity to give input because oftentimes we have some of these issues and it's it's maybe seeming like it's an issue for one school, but then when solutions start to be generated, oh, now this school is impacted in the next school, so we need to include in the conversation all the schools that could possibly be impacted by this decision. And again, it's not taking away anything that we already have, it's just adding another vehicle for two main purposes. Number one, to have a conversation rather than just one-way input. Uh, and the second is to make sure everyone's accurate information. And so this way we get away from a lot of the, maybe it'll eliminate the need for so many people to speak, because oftentimes they come with inaccurate information, they're acting on rumors, and that can curtail the number of people who feel that need because they're reacting to something that probably isn't even true. So <coughs> we say it's, we're going to try it in one way, and we may revise it the next time, depending on the issue. Uh, you know, 
administration, our recommendation to the board would say, here's our recommendation. We would still, as we do, visit the set, do all the things we've always done. So not taking any of that away. So he'll up hear all the voices, but at the same time, then you can feel comfortable as a board that our recommendation is based not just on this group or that group, it's based on that, and then we'll say, we also have this, this, this focused dialogue, and this is what we heard from here, and our recommendation is based on a wider variety of, of input. So now you know as a board that our recommendation is not just something we're taking out of the air, or usually it's based on our best judgment, but we're, we get more input than we have in the past. Thank you. Could you repeat the December 2nd at East. And if board members attend, we'd be sitting in the audience. Yes, you would be part of the conference. Because I, I think it's, you have to be careful because we want the community or the parents that are involved to be the focus of that and not try to, I always say because we don't want people politicking toward the board during this conversation. <laughs> 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 they can do it any other time they want, but not yeah. this conversation. <laughs> Tom, I just want to give you a little feedback that, I mean, I, I sort of heard about this last night, obviously, but um, this is great. I mean, I, I really think that this is, uh, opens up to let people be heard and incorporated early in the process. Um, it's obviously going to be critical who gets picked that they're, you know, not coming with an agenda or they're, <coughs> that's what we felt that, that they're willing to listen to we new ideas. We have the sets, those are organized groups, so we have to value their input. Um, but we also have to recognize they're not the only input that we need from particular and, and can you just um, provide a little more about the facilitation? Is it depending, uh, depending on, on the issue, we'll have some guiding questions that we want. You know, this is the format we're going to use this time to get into the number one to provide the information, make, your, make sure everyone's accurate information, and then some guiding questions about it's already out there. We've had these are some of the things we've already discussed. What are other possible solutions? And you know, get that dialogue from all of the, the schools. Our plan right now is that some initially might have them mixed and then put them with the school groups so that they get to hear, I think it's important to hear, I'm seeing it this way from my school, my kid, my those other five schools over there, they're looking at it completely differently. I think that's an important piece they see that what the other people in the other schools are feeling about it. One piece of feedback that I heard today, or maybe even before, because is, did you mention this is some Linwood people already, I guess? This is a bit out there. You mentioned it to principals. The principals. So they probably started talking to people. Yeah. And they, um, you know, one of them, I think we sort of heard in the public comment, right? Glenwood, or the Mandarin dual language is worried about being kind of ganged up on in this process. And so facilitation and how that it gets is important, handled is really critical. Yeah, and I, and I think we have to write. Because what, when I spoke to the PTA council, I went back to one of our guiding principals, which talks about of collaboration civility. Remember that one? Mm -hmm. So this is, a, this is an attempt to get to that goal in building the culture. So yeah, I understand that, but that's the whole pur purpose of this because we don't want, if we just had a forum on the issue, it'd be all the same people that came <coughs> tonight again, right. as opposed right. to really making an effort to hear from everyone. This, this process is built around all of us trying to think about the greater good. 
and just in terms of kind of what we're thinking, principles are going to help facilitate the groups, and so most principles will not be, I mean, they'll be obviously with their school when it gets back together, but they'll be at tables that don't have anyone at their school helping to facilitate the table conversation. I, I just apologize in advance for all the extra work this is for you Well, in the end, it might make life easier. So can you just clarify, too, though, because you mentioned trying to make sure they have accurate information, and one of the things that we've dealt with with this particular issue is that there's a lot of history and a lot of work that's already been done, and the ability to even access that on the Internet is, in, is impossible. And so are you working towards having some centralized, this is the facts data? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to share some of that. There will be, there will be a, um, a quick one-page kind of review that will go out um, probably tomorrow. Um, this, this particular one is short notice. And we'll, uh, I apologize for that, and I will apologize to the group, but we're in the midst of it. <coughs> but here's an opportunity. Let's take advantage of this opportunity to try something out. Can't hurt, um, but normally, if it's an issue, you know, you need to get just like you like the information far in advance. You will give the participants, you know, the information they need to make an informed decision. Now, what was interesting about the PTA Council, their suggestion was that it not always be the same people. Oh, yeah. Because now you bring a different voice yes. to yeah, it, so it's not like your own. And there's something. As one of the women who was just uh, selected to be in a, a focus group that the governor had appointed, she says there's something to be said for being selected to be part of a focus group. And it's not like you're always going to be the person, and it, it puts more value in it. Um, um, yeah. I just want to share one little thing. Just one of the best parts of the night was watching Dr. Purvey watch your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> that was one proud moment. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it was her daughter was the one who spoke for the principal. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, was, that was just a nice
I, I remember Dr. Ernest. I don't remember his last name. Um, but nonetheless, um, the takeaways from him in terms of uh, a, a group, whether it be a school board or any other um, type of board, they have to ask themselves, are they ready to take it to the next level? And um, much of that involves really looking at yourselves and how you interact with one another. And um, you have to understand the differences between um, each of the, you know, amongst the members of the group and then capitalize and, and, and create opportunities for you to use whatever assets they have relative to your own to really be the most effective um, organization that you can be. So um, it was very good, and um, I'm happy to share more details. I didn't bring my, uh, my booklet with me tonight, but um, I'm pretty sure that if we needed to, we could access some additional information. So the same doctor um, also suggested that boards that want to take it to the next level um, can't continue to confine themselves to one retreat per year. Yeah. <laughs> now, what you include as a part of that retreat, I guess, is up to the board. But you, you cannot have these in-depth conversations just and and do this work just once a year. So uh, it's not really an effective way to truly take it to the next level. So, but anyway, I was I was you know posting things on Facebook as fast as I could. He made us take notes. Yes, he, he was did. Good instructor. Yes, he did. <laughs> now I don't see everyone writing, you know, but nonetheless, so it was a good experience. Good, James. I'll, I'll just say one of the sessions I went to was a parent from Florida who apologized for all the uh, educational cool. policy they've exported <laughs> to the <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Just know that, that that was that message was delivered. So it does. Um, if we're done with sharing, then we need to have a, oh, wait, so I'll let you share, I promise, Greg, you should definitely have the last word, um, but just to be aware that we're going to then need a motion to go into closed session. But just a quick sharing to share my appreciation for the uh, citizens of uh, Capitol Carborough uh, for the uh, opportunity to serve the students and, and families of Chapel Hill and Carborough, and appreciation to the uh, my colleagues on the board and, this, and the wonderful teachers and staff of the uh, Chapel Hill and Carver. We're very fortunate to have a uh, community that really cares about education and a, uh, and a board and staff who, are, who not only care but are you know, poised to do something about it and recognize their challenges. But, but we are making progress and going to continue it. So I'm confident uh, that you are. And hope to have a, some grandkids in the district for too long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the board had recognized Amy Rickard as our principal of the year. And she okay. hadn't been in the audience to have her stand up, but but um, we certainly congratulate her and it's very well deserved. Motion. We're going to close session for the purposes stated on the agenda. Second. Uh, any discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Thank you very much. <coughs>